everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. Welcome everybody, this is Dave AC standing in, running the show, not very well at the moment, but running the show indeed for the Colton Collective Podcast. Yes, I'll explain why I'm doing so in a moment. Uh, I've got uh, Jeff, the Seventh Doctor, helping me out today. So let me just say a quick uh, hello to Jeff. Hello, Dave. Uh, it just feels like I've had somebody stepping through my whole life recently. I just can't figure it out. Uh, you feel broken into a million pieces, do you? Uh-huh. Yep. You guessed uh-huh. it. Okay, well, uh, I will start to, to introduce those people we have in our room at the moment. But, uh, yeah, this is episode uh, 204, would you believe? And uh, I think Ian was asking me how many episodes have we, we done on the Cup Collective last night. And it's uh, 378. 118 of those are commentaries. About 108... Uh, ooh, must be no, obviously 203 uh, live episodes, and the rest are studio episodes. But let's find out who is in the collective today. And uh, very nice to have on audio. We have Willis Girl. Hi, Willis Girl. Hi, Dave. Good to hear you on audio. Uh, always nice to have you. And uh, hope you enjoy today's show. So polite I'm waiting for a response. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure I'll have a great time uh, today. Good. That's what we want. Uh, hi, Darth. Uh, Darth's next on my list. Not first. He's always Ian's number one. But I'm afraid the lady takes preference for him today. Hi, Darth. Hello, good sir. How are you? Fine, indeed. Fine, indeed. Good to have you here. We've also got with us... Um, Ken, and then I'll be asking Kobo to unmute after Ken. So, hi, Ken. Hi, Dave. How are you today? Good. Fine to have you here. Thank you very much indeed. Glad to be here. We'll be going to you shortly with one or two others for our news items. And uh, we should have Kobo unmuted now. Hi, Kobo. Hey, Dave. How are you? Fine indeed. So, I've already introduced Jeff. I think that's actually all we've got on audio. So, um, let's find out who's under the cone. Control, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place.
little cone of silence. What? And under the coat today, we have Logan, Carte Blanche, Cybob, and guest 13, who I think is pretending to be Jeff's, uh, not Jeff's, but uh, Ken's evil twin, but um, yes, we'll yes. allow them and introduce them separately. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, we are actually going to have some news today, so let's get the typing monkey. Go, go typing monkey, go! monkey. Yeah. Go. Whoa! Uh, oh. <laughs> yes, I, I think we had hear no evil, see no evil, and speak no evil there, all three of them together. Thank you very much indeed. Um, well, uh, I'm going to start off and then we'll go to Jeff. Uh, just to mention that, Kobo, uh, can you mute again, please? Uh, there's been a convention mania happening uh, around the world this weekend, and that is why uh, it explains that Ian is not with us. Ian is off uh, for one of his very few conventions. It's a while since he's been to one. And he's in Atlanta at the Timegate Adventure uh, um, Convention, there to meet his... Favorite doctor, of course. He his uh, Twitter name is the Sixth Doctor, and that the reason for that is, of course, that Colin Baker is his favorite doctor. Doctor. Although I don't know what he's going to say to Colin Baker, who had to change his Twitter account to Sawbones X since he and the Sixth Doctor pinched his Twitter account. Perhaps he might have been a bit annoyed with him for that. Mm. And he's also going to meet uh, our mutual friend, uh, that's Colin Spall. That's the, the one person that both uh, Ian and myself have met at different conventions, and uh, we now consider him a friend of the Colton Collective. And maybe even at this very moment, uh, Ian will be having an interview with Colin. No promises, but we're hoping that he will be coming back to the Collective with uh, lots of little tidbits. If you're on the Facebook page, the Colton Collective Facebook page, you'll be seeing I've been uh, reposting uh, pictures that uh, Ian has sent me via his iPhone. Uh, we've even got a little short video up there of Colin on one of his Q&As, and uh, hopefully those people will see them. I will be posting them up on the Colton.com site uh, in a day or two. So if you're not uh, particularly a person who uh, has friended the Cutting Collective page on Facebook. I will try and get them up in one or two other places so you can view them. But he's having a really good time, and he's already been complimented on his Sixth Doctor outfit. So um, that's the time gate at Atlanta, which the final day is here. Um, in, the, in London, we've just had um, a couple of conventions. There's been the MCM London Comic Con, uh, and in fact that's a three-day event from the 24th to the 26th of May, so that is still ongoing. And there's also been in London uh, Collector Mania, which um, is in Milton Keynes, I believe, uh, so not really London, and that was Saturday the 25th, and that goes all the way through to Monday the 27th, because of course in the UK it's a bank holiday. Yes, we celebrate the banks being closed. Bank holiday Monday tomorrow. So that's all the news we've got. But we've got plenty of other people with uh, news. And uh, let's go to Jeff, please. Well, uh, BBC America here in the States is having a kind of a Doctor Who marathon today. Uh, they're showing some various specials uh, from the series, including The Runaway Bride, which I believe is on right now, Voyage of the Damned, The Next Doctor, Planet of the Dead, Waters of Mars, and the snowmen. In addition, they are celebrating um, the the past doctors 
all throughout the year, and they're doing one doctor a month. This month, they're doing the fifth doctor, Peter Davidson. And this evening at 8 o'clock Eastern, also 8 o'clock Pacific, if you get the Pacific feed of BBC America, uh, they will have the doctors revisited, the fifth doctor. And uh, they'll be celebrating Peter Davidson's era of the doctor. And after the 40-minute special, they will be airing... um, Oh, boy, the name just went out of my head. Airshock, uh, the fifth Doctor story. So if you would like to catch up on Classic Who, you can do that this evening on BBC America. Uh, watch the fifth Doctor revisited, and then Earthshock right after that. And they will be repeating it right after the initial airing at 11 o'clock Eastern Time as well. And just in addition, they will be showing the specials of the First Doctor, the Second Doctor, the Third Doctor, and the Fourth Doctor right before the special for the Fifth Doctor. So it's it's a Doctor Who marathon on BBC America today. Brilliant. And, and I've just been looking, by the way, the looking at the TimeGate uh, con schedule. In actual fact, um, Colin Small at this very moment is... Um, doing a, a live commentary on a Age of Steel. So uh, no doubt Ian will be in the, the showing room for that. Of course, uh, he played Mr. Crane uh, in that episode, I think. Make sure I get my facts right. Yeah, it was Mr. it was Lilt in Revelation of the Daleks from the classic series and played Mr. Crane in Age of Steel. But he's doing a, a live commentary uh, at that now. So, great. Aww. So, excellent. Let's uh, move on to Ken, please, for news. Lots of news, interesting news. Yesterday, May 25th is important. One, uh, there's, there's a little um, factoid starting that they, they've been having, you know, May the 4th is May the 4th be with you as a Star Wars celebratory day. But to those of us that were way back when got to luckily see Star Wars the first day, and I prize myself as one of them, hooray. Um, May 25th is a really important day. That was the opening of Star Wars back in 1977. So to everyone, that, that was the always the Star Wars premiere day, and I even think Indiana Jones uh, was premiering on, on that day in May for a few of the movies. So that, that's rather important. Also yesterday was Towel Day. Uh, Tal Day is the annual celebration on May 25th, a tribute to uh, Douglas Adams. And on that day, fans around the universe proudly carry the towel in his honor. And what's interesting, this, this is have celebrations everywhere in the world. You have in uh, Austria, in Wolfert, they had a, a special uh, towel flash mob in uh, Belgium. Uh, in Brazil, they had a uh, special Cal Day uh, competition and dance contest. Uh, Canada, um, they uh, had a special signing at uh, Chapters Bookstore. Um, Toronto, the Rolling Stones were playing. I think there were Cal Day festivities at the concert. China, Colombia, Czech Republic, Denmark. If you go to uh, the Tal Day website, uh, you can read all the information about it. It's uh, really exciting. 
And something else um, happened this week that's really important. Doctor Who has won the Peabody Award. Uh, Doctor Who presented with the Peabody Award, one of the highest honors in uh, American media. George Foster Peabody Award. It distinguishes achievement and meritorious service by broadcasters, cable and webcasters, producing organizations and individuals. The citation for Doctor Who uh, reads, seemingly immortal, 50 years old and still running. This engaging, imaginative sci-fi fantasy series is awarded an institutional Peabody for evolving with technology and the times like nothing else in the known television universe. The award was accepted by Stephen Moffat, General Louise Coleman, and Matt Smith at a ceremony um, in New York this week. So that is really fantastic. Doctor Who has won the Peabody Award. And they accepted it uh, on Monday, May 20th. And if you check uh, the Doctor Who news page, there's a picture of all three of them. Matt Smith, uh, very close uh, cropped, almost shaved hair for a role he's playing, uh, flanked by Jenna Louise and uh, Stephen Moffat. That's pretty exciting news for this week. And that's mm-hmm. all the news I have. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Um, we've got some news from Kobo now. Kobo? Just had to get myself unmuted. Um, this news is a little more lighthearted. It's a Rift Tracks version of Doctor Who and the Daleks, which is that uh, Peter Cushing movie that they did. Oh, it doesn't give a year on here. So if somebody want to help me out with the year that the film was released? Um, not too sure about that on the moment. I'm just trying to put links with Peabody Award in the room at the moment. But go go ahead anyway with the information if you can. In any 1966. Thank you. Yeah, and it's nothing officially canon because Peter Cushing was never recognized as the doctor as we, as we all know um but it's the Mystery Science Theater team riffing all over Doctor Who and the Daleks so I don't know if it's strictly available in America Hold on, I'm pulling up the price now. But Ooh, it's only nine ninety nine digitally. Um it's Kevin, Mike, and Bill. Okay. Thank you very much, Kobo. And um We've got uh, one more person with news, and that's Darth. Hi, Darth. Yeah, some uh, pretty big news from the world of Star Wars, not just that it is Star Wars Day, but I'm sure uh, that that had something to do with the timing of the announcement. Um, As we know, the Clone Wars was canceled um, a few, I guess it was really only a few weeks ago, 
And, you know, there was this great wailing and moaning and gnashing of teeth. But as it turns out, really all that's happening here is that we're moving forward a few years in the timeline and we'll have another season, what we might call season six of the Clone Wars, uh, under the new name Star Wars Rebels. At least I think it's called Star Wars Rebels. It might be Star Wars Rebels, but I think it's Star Wars Rebels because um, we're moving forward uh, to that time period between uh, Episode 3 and Episode 4. Uh, and um, most of the creators are back. Um, certainly it's still going to be executive produced by um, Dave Filoni. And I guess he's really getting a bump up in his credit from Clone Wars, because Clone Wars, he's supervising producer, but he's effectively the showrunner anyway. Um, But now I think he is formally being called an executive producer, because I suppose George Lucas is pulling back. Um, But anyway, we're moving forward. We've got a a new time period, probably. We don't know any details about who's going to be involved. Certainly the way that... um, season five ends it's possible for there to be some carryover of characters from one series to the next um don't have any information about some other mysteries that are going forward Uh, the most obvious one is how long will it be uh will it be you know the same sort of 20 to 24 26 uh episode season that we've gotten with the clone wars don't know that could only be 13 uh that certainly is uh, a little bit more normal for uh expensive television animation these days but who knows um and we don't know anything about um the storyline per se except that it is in that interregnum between the two existing trilogies um there's a little bit of thought that oh, oh and an interesting thing that has emerged there's one there's a video that's been released by Dave Filoni this week and you should go to starwars.com i suppose to take a look at that but the the only thing that is of any kind of concrete nature that has emerged is the um the base designs here are going to be um very Ralph McQuarrie heavy and as we know Ralph McQuarrie was the you know original concept artist for Star Wars certainly for episode 4 episode 5 as well um but uh he died last year and it's encouraging to hear them saying look you know we are going back to the original concept designs because we figure that those concept designs uh, actually did represent a period of time before when Episode Four happened um, because they don't look exactly like what eventually emerged in Star Wars Episode Four. Uh, so therefore, we our, our interpretation of these designs is that they actually did happen in the Star Wars universe, but they happened slightly before Episode Four, which is a fascinating uh, spin on things, uh, especially if you know, if you're really into Star Wars and you, you know, understand, and maybe you have these sort of Art of Star Wars books and you've looked at these really original uh, designs that Lucas actually used to pitch the film to 20th Century Fox uh, and thought, well, that's not quite Star Wars as I know it, but it looks like it could have been. So now we're going to get a series that actually uses that artwork, which, to, to my mind, that's just 
fascinating beyond who's going to be in it and how long it's going to be and uh, all that stuff. Uh, that's fascinating. The other fascinating thing that is has been thrown out there is this series is somehow meant to get us engaged and ready for episode seven. Now, how is that going to happen? I don't know. Uh, because, I mean, you're talking about, what would that be? Uh, 40, possibly, well, no. Yeah, maybe around 40 years before the end of Return of the Jedi. Uh, and we don't know exactly when Episode 7 starts. It might be, you know, the year after or a couple of years after the end of Episode 6. Or it might be 10 years after. So we don't know when that's going to happen. But still, there's, it seems to me there's a big gap between you know, that, that time between Episode 3 and Episode 4 and when Episode 7 will happen. So how is this going to be an advertisement, effectively, for Episode 7? I have no clue. Um, but the great thing is, you know, is Dave Filoni back in charge. He's got a lot of the same people around him that he had to make Clone Wars. It's coming out in 2014, so it's like we don't even really miss a year even, uh, which suggests that this has been sort of in the pipeline for a lot longer than what we thought, because that is that is not enough development time. It's really not to go from the end of Clone Wars directly into a brand new thing in a year. That's, that's crazy. So I think this has been happening for a while, and it, it might even be something that Lucas was going to do anyway. Um, before he even sold the thing to Disney. But it's great news, and everybody who panicked about Clone Wars going away, they got nothing to worry about. The other thing we don't know at this point is we th there are, are a few episodes of the Clone Wars which have been sort of teased, um, but we have no idea how exactly those episodes are going to hit the market? Are they just going to be bonus material on a DVD? Are they going to be released as specials? Are they going to be maybe kind of a pilot broadcast sort of thing um, that happens before you get the first episode of Star Wars Rebels? I don't know. Uh, but there is still a bit of Clone Wars material out there that hasn't been shown, and we don't know when that's coming. We don't know exactly when Star Wars Rebels comes, um, but we do know that it is coming and that it's the same people, and that should make all Star Wars fans happy. Excuse me, Dara. Yes. Go on. Any question, uh, answer, whether it's going to be Cartoon Network or Disney XD? I believe they said Disney XD. And okay. That's, that's what I thought. Uh, and I can't. Yeah. I can't imagine that it wouldn't be Disney. I mean, why would they do Cartoon Network? doesn't really make any business sense for them to do that. Yeah. Um, but there uh, we go. By the way, in text while you're talking, uh, Logan's added, uh, there's a good chance that James Arnold Taylor will return as uh, Obi-Wan in this. And um, now I'm not sure what the 25 is that episodes or not, but... Um, Jeff, are you trying to correct what you think Logan's put are as just some doubt about uh, this year's? Yeah, oh, Logan's yeah. added three. Episode yeah. three ended about 19 years before episode four, and then four from six four... Was about three to four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but right. the thing we don't know is, 
And the reason I was sort of building in uh, 40 as a possibility is because we don't know when episode seven actually will be. So, you know, it certainly is plausible that episode seven could be as late as 10, even 20 years after the end of uh, Return of the Jedi, but we just don't know at this point. Especially if they're going to have the actors from, you know, the the original saga, the the original trilogy in the new movies. You'd have to explain that great age. Yeah, Yeah, you'd have to explain the age difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And do we think Logan, when he says 25, he's talking about 25 episodes there? I think he's trying to say 25 years, essentially, between the... Yeah, I agree. Oh, 25 years total, right, yeah. Yeah, he says, I thought you were meaning the time frame of Rebels. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, 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 it doesn't come 25 years. Uh, no. Oh. I mean, we, we don't know. We don't know how exactly how long Rebels will be. Uh, it, but the thing is, the thing that's kind of encouraging about Rebels as opposed to Clone Wars, you know, Clone Wars set in this really increasingly awkward narrative space, right, between um, Episode 2 and Episode 3, where we know that there are only three years max or whatever. Um, and yet the show lasted for five years. And it's sort of one of those mash suspension of disbelief things, yeah, where you've got, you know, an 11-year series that is supposed to be about a two-year war. Um, and, you know, as each season of Clone Wars went on, it's like, how, where, you know, how do you fit all this stuff into that you know, little gap of time? And the great thing about Rebels is, you know, if, depending on how they do it, uh, they could have up to, you know, like we just said there, you know, 19, 20 narrative years to work with, which is a lot more encouraging, I think. Plus, you know, again, we don't know anything about who is involved in this. Uh, so, you know, if you're talking about wholly brand new characters, uh, then you've got nothing to anchor their actions to other than the major galactic events that we know happened. If instead what they're doing is they are plopping people down in here who later are going to appear in episode seven, which certainly makes some, you know, presumptive sense um, as to why this is being called something that gets you ready for episode seven. Uh, Then, you know, you've got a little less working time because you've got to keep them a constant age. You've got to make sure that the the math works out for their, their time and that whole thing. Um, and I've got to believe that there's going to be some sort of narrative integration with Episode 7 because there's just no reason to to do this. Uh, you, all you would have done is you would have said, we're not canceling Clone Wars. We're merely, you know, we're saying this is Clone Wars, but we're narratively advancing five years. And then, you know, it becomes sort of the Ahsoka Tano show or whatever it becomes. Um, so anyway, lots of balls in the air. The important thing, though, is you're not going to feel as a viewer like Star Wars is gone for anything more than a season break, really. I mean, it might be 18 months as opposed to 12, possibly, but that's, you know, as we're learning with Doctor Who, that's what you do nowadays, I guess. So, Yeah, what always amazes me, if we can talk about, you know, Star Trek in the same breath as Star Wars, Mm. is, is, is the length of time between these new movies. You uh, I mean, I suppose it's the, just the sheer amount of post-production and CGI in the episodes, and maybe of course the the, the guest actors want to, you know, do other projects in between time, uh, and then whatever. But um, 
uh, same with James Bond now. I know you, you quite rightly explained to us uh, with the MGM being in financial straits and this, that, and the other. There was a whole new, uh, there was a whole reason for the for the big delay after was it Quantum and Solace uh, to the um, the the James Bond that came after uh, Skyfall. But I mean, you'd think with Daniel, uh, they would want to try and get, you know, five or six or seven Bond movies out of him. Now is he is he about forty six now? Is he? I don't know. So, I think something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you think they'd um, try and get them a little bit more frequently? Okay. Uh, I think I've uh, we've covered all the uh, decided uh, news that we're going to do. So. Um, if you're enjoying us so much listening to this as a download later and you want to join us live, here's how you do it. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. Okay, and uh, we we haven't uh, said uh, who, who's going to go first, so uh, um, perhaps I can bear on Jeff to do that, and then we'll go to Willis Girl. But let me just tell you what we are going to do. It's episode 204. We've just been reviewing the eight episodes that take up the part two of series seven of Doctor Who that just finished airing, of course, uh, last Saturday, the um, 18th of May. And so before we sort of move on to passages new and other topics, varied and interesting though they will be over the coming weeks, we thought we'd give the collective just a chance to talk about um, how they rate the second half of Series 7. And I think there's a, a couple of reasons for this. One or two is the fact that not everybody that's here uh, may well still come into the room has been here for every episode and been on audio. And secondly, uh, prompted somewhat by something that Ken very kindly said on the last episode, and that is that uh, uh, having watched uh, the last episode and, and some of the things it tied up, he felt as though that in and in of itself had actually uh, made him reassess somewhat slightly uh, his ratings and, and viewpoints of uh, the previous episodes. Uh, and so there may be people in the room that maybe were particularly harsh or maybe particularly generous on one of these episodes and maybe they've had a chance to see it a second, third or fourth time. Maybe even they've watched it with a cult and commentary whistling in their ears and they've thought, those guys have got a point. I think I'll reassess on what Ian, Dave and Mike have said. Of course, they may not. But we're going to find out <laughs> shortly. may not be as long a show because we've not got that many people on audio currently, and we may break away from the topic at any point should Ian the Sixth Doctor uh, come in from the uh, Timegate uh, Convention Centre and come in to just give us some breaking news. But with that, um, hopefully that's given Jeff a little bit of time. Uh, I will. What I've got is so everybody in the room will be absolutely happy. I've got 79 clips to play. Well, I'm not going to play 79 clips. I've got clips 
is plenty from all the different episodes, and I'm going to basically uh, randomly pick one or two from each of the episodes. So um, let's let's go about that first. Give even more time. And, of course, um, maybe you want to reference the snowman, but I'm going to keep um, the clips uh, not from that. I'm going to give a couple of clips from the the Bells of St. John. So um, let me pick one at random and let's get playing it. I'd be too showy off me. What the hell's going on? Well, I'm blocking your Wi-Fi, so you're waking up for a start. Tell you what, do you want to drive? I don't understand. What's happened? That box. Where's it gone? Find that box! Okay. When are you going to explain to me what the hell is going on? Breakfast. What? I ain't waiting till breakfast. It's a time machine. You never have to wait for breakfast. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, magic blue box. All donations gratefully accepted. Roll up, roll up. Give us your dosh. Oh, pennies, pounds, anything you've got. Keep collecting. We need enough for breakfast. Just popping back to the garage. What's happening? Blue box, South Bank. Definitely wasn't there five minutes ago. Are we sure this time? If you've got flying time machines, why are we on a motorbike? I don't take the TARDIS into battle. Because it's made of wood. Because it's the most powerful ship in the universe and I don't want it falling into the wrong hands. Again! I do love London. So many cameras. They've got to be close. Definitely London going by the signal distribution. I can hack the lowest level of their operating system, but I can't establish a physical location. The security is too good. Are you an alien? I am. Yes, okay with that. Fine, yeah. I think I'm fine. Oh, good. So, what happens if you do find them? What happens then? I don't know. I can't tell the future. I just work there. You don't have a plan? Oh, you know what I always say about plans? What? I don't have one. Okay, and let me just say that um, that was from uh, The Bells of St. John. I'll be playing another one uh, in a little while. First aired on the 30th of March, 2013. If you go to wikipedia.org forward slash wiki and series 7. Um, and um, I don't think I need to read the synopsis of it, but it's The Bells of St. John. And we can go to Jeff, if we will. And when Jeff, uh, and, and this is to everybody, of course, you're not just talking about Bells of St. John. I'm just going to play the clips in the, the order of the, the show's appearance. Uh, you've got carte blanche, as it were. Ah, we've got carte blanche in the room. Oh, he's a clever boy, isn't he, David? What a segue. Uh, yeah, you've got carte blanche to, to, to talk about any and all of those episodes, Jeff. You know, I, I almost think you have to include two other stories um, when when you're talking about series seven B seven B, excuse me, and that's Asylum of the Daleks and the Snowman, because they both have Clara in it, and we we both in both those stories we get uh, part of her story. So 
When you're considering this part of the series, you have to, I think, almost add those two in. Now, granted, Asylum of the Daleks, she wasn't in a whole lot. I mean, we had a lot of uh, story with Amy and Rory in there as well. I don't know what happened with Series 7B. Um, we, we got a completely different feel from the, the show, starting with Series 7B. Uh, you still have Stephen Moffat. Can I just interject that, something there, Jeff? Go ahead. Go um, my roommate, who had never seen Doctor Who before, has said the scenes with Clara in Asylum of the Daleks felt entirely different than the rest of the episode. Well, I'm glad you you brought that up, Kobo, because you know I, I completely agree with you. Even those scenes in Asylum of the Daleks had a different feel to the rest of that story, uh, just as you mentioned. Yeah, I think your roommate was dead dead on there. It just amazed me that he had never seen the show before, and yet he picked up on that. And does that that lead to the question: uh, Is Clara the difference? Was Amy and, to some extent, Rory uh, giving the show a different feel? Were those characters not well-written? Is Clara well-written? I don't know. I, I don't know why there's such a difference. Or for the Amy and Rory boosters, and they're out there, and I'm I'm in the middle of that. Excuse me. Um, there is a marked difference. And just while we pause a minute, because we've got... And, Kobo, when you're not going to make a, a comment, would you mute? And just, if Jeff will just uh, bear with me one moment, just want to introduce to the on audio the fact that we've got Ian joining us at the moment. So just let him at least uh, announce himself, and then we'll see where he wants to go, whether he wants to speak. I'll sit back for a moment. Uh, so, okay, Jeff, if you would just let us do that. Go, go right ahead. Hi, Ian. Hello, Dave. Hello, everybody. Hi, um, Ian. Hey. Um, can't stay for long. Just put a uh, call in, touch base, um, and tell you the time gates of a uh, fantastic convention. Um, I've had a blast. Uh, I've done a little bit of reports here and there. Uh, nothing too long-winded, which is good, which is unusual for me, of course, um, about the whole thing. And uh, Dave and I will be getting together later on during the week to kind of assemble everything as a, as a big con report. Um, that uh, hopefully later on this afternoon I'll be sitting down with Colin Spall. Um, I do have a bottle of whiskey in my bag and two glasses, so you know I think the odds are pretty good. Um, just got done with uh, listening to him do a, a live commentary on uh, uh, Rise of the Cybermen. Um, he's just just a lovely man. And uh, Colin Baker, um, all I expected and, and more. Um, just really really nice. Everybody here has been great, um, from the, the con staff to uh, the guests, and it's just been a whale of a time. Um, before I leave, uh, special thanks to the Earth Station One uh, network uh, podcasters that have uh, kind of taken me under their wing and made me feel at home here. Uh, that uh, we went out, we all went out to dinner last night, had a good time. Um, so uh, thanks to Mike Faber and, and and all the gang at Earth Station One for uh, kind of helping me out here being kind of uh, uh, out of my element, as it were, and, and, and kind of you know, not really knowing anyone here. So um, that's, that's all I've got. Uh, I'll let you guys get on with the show, and uh, uh, I'll talk to you all again uh, next week. 
Okay, I hope you managed to meet Chip and maybe Jason, who said he was going to look out for you. And, yes, um, I did run into oh, Jason briefly, and uh, yeah, Chip's been Chip's been hanging around, taking all sorts of lovely photos and and everything. So brilliant. Oh, and and, and, um, and, and uh, also also later on during this week there will be a uh, it, it's already gone out on um, on some of the feeds, but uh, I got a chance to sit down with the other podcasters on Friday night and interview Colin Baker. Um, he did uh, have some strong words for me when we first met because I was wearing that horrible coat. But uh, <laughs> he doesn't seem to have held that against me. So. <laughs> Excellent. All right, I, hope but, uh, pa- I hope you're passing those cards out. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And they're also on the Air Station uh, One um, uh, table as well. So. Really? All right. So back to Dave thank, and back to the show. You. And uh, have fun, guys. Cheers. Thank you very much indeed, Ian. Yep. Bye. Uh, Mike's not here, unfortunately. To okay, right. Well, thank you very much for indulging us there, Jeff. Um, no, no, no problem. Hopefully, you haven't got too far into your thought process that you can't recover where you're up to. But um, I think Kobo just pointed out um, the connection, and you raised it about um, Asylum of the Daleks and the Snowman being perhaps something you need to consider in with these stories. And it makes you think that uh, Stephen Moffat was thinking ahead and um, was realizing where he was going with the end of this series uh, to incorporate Clara into uh, Asylum of the Daleks as well as the Snowman. And, you know, another difference, I think, that we're seeing in Series 7B is, to me, this series felt way more like the classic series than what we've had anything in in Moffat's uh, prior episodes or even in RTD's era. Um, If if you just look at this, uh, you have um, in Cold War, you bring back the Ice Warriors and you make them scarier. And even that story had kind of a a base under siege type feel to it that... uh, I think it hasn't been as well done as in this story. Uh, in Hyde, it, it felt very classic series-like, um, especially, I would say, in the earlier mid-Tom Baker era. Um, the Crimson Horror um, had a very campy feel to it. Uh, and obviously, in the classic series, we had a lot of campy feeling stories, I thought. So, you know, again, you're bringing back that feel of the the classic series. And then, what can you say? The name of the Doctor, you have all the prior Doctors uh, showing up on the screen, including the original. But seven, we did say spoilers, eight. didn't we, by the way? Uh, I'm assuming everybody knows, because we're doing a, a final review, that we are going to be spoilish about all these. So, uh, I'd better get that on there for the record, Jeff. Sorry. That's okay. I, I, I don't think you did mention it, and I didn't think to, to no, add that no, at the beginning. No, it's my fault. Mistake one, keep count. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I love this classic feel that we got, and we also had a bit of an RTD feel. Uh, I think the characters were written better, and, and you had more emotion involved in these stories where... In, in the Moffat era from, you know, Series 5 through even into Series 7A to some extent, you just didn't have 
the emotional element like he did with RTD. So I, I think they were bringing back some of the best aspects of uh, RTD and as well as the classic series. And, you know, it just clicked. This is the best stories that I think, um, other than maybe the, the Doctor's Wife, that we've had in, in the Moffat era. And it was just a joy to watch. Now, that doesn't mean I, I particularly cared for all of them. There were a couple that I thought were real stinkers. And I know, Kobo, you're not going to like me for this, but uh, the Rings of Akaton, there were parts of that I really liked. But there were parts of it that, were, that I was just sitting there going, huh? That doesn't make any sense. And I, I think I've seen that story now four times. And the more I watch it, the more I dislike it. And the other one that I didn't care for at all was Nightmare and Silver. Um, the, the Cybermen were just kind of robots now. They I will address their... both those points when it's my turn. Okay, okay. Kobe. I, I figured you would. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the Nightmare and Silver, the Cybermen were just robots. They've lost all of their human aspects and... Um, they they could have come up with a new enemy and put it in there, a robotic enemy, and it would have been fine. And Dave, you know, it's interesting. You brought up the commentaries that you and and Mike and Ian have been doing, and I've been listening back to some of those, and I've been on a roller coaster with the last story, the name of the Doctor. When I watched it the first couple of times, it was a joy, but I think I was caught up in the nostalgia of the thing. And then once I started thinking about it, I, I kept thinking, well, what did Clara really do? We didn't see her really do a whole lot on screen to help the doctor. Oh, she runs up to a door, and there's the seventh doctor across the chasm, and she's just knocking on the door, and does he really hear her? Does anything really happen to help him? Uh, the Bessie goes by in the third doctor, and what does the third doctor do? He looks in his rearview mirror and sees Clara. Did that really help him? You know, I, we really didn't see much that helped the doctor in that story uh, saw, from Clara's. You saw the great the great intelligence was in that same clip with Bessie, wasn't he? Yes, he was standing but, there. But what did she do? Well, I mean, the point is... It, Did she get I his suppose, attention or what? Well, it showed she was visiting the same place. She was at the presumably points that were an important point where the great intelligence was. She was also showing up. But you're right. It, it was done in, in what, a 10-second homage. There was no story you could tell in that point. Uh, right. You could argue that it may have worked better as a two-parter, but then other people would say you can't integrate old footage in anything more than 10 seconds because the cracks start to show, so... Jeff, can I, I interject for a sec? Well, if I could finish my point, then I'll let you oh, come yeah. in. The, the only yeah. thing that we really see that she helped him with is with the first doctor and picking the right TARDIS. Now, I'm going to guess that the great intelligence somehow made him pick the wrong uh, TARDIS uh, or maybe uh, made it so that he couldn't hear the TARDIS calling him and Clara redirected him to the right TARDIS. That's the only point that I could and see where... And that's another where... point that I wanted to bring up. Whoa, 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 whoa. Kobo, if, if, if Ken has to wait, please don't you jump in. But, uh, that's the only point that I really see Clara helping the Doctor at all in all these clips that we saw. 
Um, but then I, I listened back to the, um, the, the commentary that the three of you did, and I don't know, the nostalgia, I guess, came back, and I, I kind of glossed over those little points again, and it really enjoyed the episode. So, Ken, what did you want to say about okay. that? What I what Thank I felt what I felt from it, and rewatching it, it they have to use a storytelling shortcut, and we established that every act of good that the doctor did and his whole existence was going to be wiped out by the great intelligence. So the great intelligence spread himself far and wide amongst the length and breadth of the doctor's. Um, time stream. Wherever the doctor was, whatever he did, the great intelligence was there to undo, to manifest himself in whatever way. And in the same like, Clara, not in an individual way, we're not going to see every time she does it, it might not even be in a physical way that she was there to block. It's almost like a a universal chess match. Everywhere the great intelligence was, there is Clara, caring, saving, sacrificing. Everywhere in the doctor's time stream to block everything the great intelligence did. So it's it may be even like in the back of the doctor's mind or something that he won't even remember. But wherever... It was. Clara was there. I mean, we're not going to have, like in Genesis to the Daleks, uh, the great intelligence doing something and then Clara's hand going in. It might be something that the doctor doesn't even remember because the doctor would would be would be saying, I remember you doing all these things. So her presence may not have been physically felt, interjecting into the doctor's life into his 11th uh, incarnation. You know, I, I certainly was in cancelling one another out in as much as basically things were back to how they were. Yeah. But um, they could only give broad brushstrokes. I, uh, I mean, Jeff, do you think they could have done it, it, it more explicitly? And if it had made that have slowed the story down or, or, or as, as I was saying, you know, the, the integration of classic Who images with the HD images might have become more jarring. It might have been Doctor Who Forrest Gump then. It would have maybe overdone the whole thing. Well, I, I guess that that was my point, listening back to the commentaries. It really helped me in, um, you know, figuring out that, well, maybe, as you said, Dave, it was like a, a chess match where you know, the great intelligence was going to do something and Clara stopped it. And it may not be, as you said, Ken, in that the doctor actually knows what was going on between the two. So, you know, the the commentaries really help clarify, in my mind, sometimes uh, what's happening on screen. Because I can listen to you and Ian and Mike and get your views. It's just another way of of, of watching the episode and uh, it, it just going through different scenarios in your mind and, and figuring things out. Yeah, I think it's... In, it, it, yeah, in a way, it's almost a, a retelling of the Black and White Guardian, isn't it? 
um, if you think of um, the the great intelligence and Clara taking those two opposite, you know, controlling influences. Yes, I was saying I that, that, that it was like like a chess match. So I was mentioning that that it was like uh, every step made uh, that the intelligence made Clara was there to block. Yeah. So, you oh, know, cool. I, I started out with a 4-5, and I was down to like a 3 or 2-5 oh, on that. But then I've come back up, you know, I'm back up in the 4 range, 4-4-5. Four, four, so, like I said, I'm on a roller coaster with that episode. I think I'm back up at the top of the hill again. <laughs> I had yeah, a question oh. about the name of the doctor as well. Um, doesn't that kind of contradict what um, the TARDIS said about herself and the doctor's wife? How she no. chose him and no, not him. Well, yes and no, but uh, again, maybe the great intelligence was preventing the doctor from hearing the, the TARDIS call him, take him, however you want to. And that's why it. Clara. It's a double, a double bluff at the beginning of the story because right at the beginning, Clara, Clara says to the first doctor, "You're making a terrible mistake." And we all think, watching it the first time, that he's making a mistake. You know, trying to leave Gallifrey in a broken TARDIS, but the mistake was that he was choosing the wrong one. He wasn't choosing the one that was originally intended for him to take. That's the way I read it. Yeah, that's how I took it, Dave. Also, but uh, I'm not going to say a whole lot more about this. But um, you, you know, this uh, the series I think has been the most enjoyable for me. Probably since series four, which uh, of New Who was probably my favorite of all. Uh, I love Donna. Um, I thought for the majority of those stories, they were excellent. I kind of get that feeling with 7B. Um, I don't know if Clara is quite up to Donna level, but she's awfully close. She's really good. Um, and the stories, for the most part, have been very, very good. Uh, and, you know, if I had to give this a rating, a TARDIS-grown rating, for 7B, and I would probably have to add in the Snowmen and Asylum of the Daleks with that, uh, I'd probably get a 4 or a 4.5. I mean, it, it's just been very, very good. Excellent. So that, okay. that's my take on it. Brilliant. Well, I, I'll play one more clip from... from uh, the bells, and then we'll go to Willis Girl if she would be so kind. You don't seem like a nanny. I was going to travel. I was going to stay for a week before I left, and during that week, she died. So you're returning the favour, then? But a hundred and one places to see. And you haven't been to any of them, have you? That's why you keep the book. I keep the book? She's not so good. But you don't run out on the people you care about. Wish I was more like that. You know, the thing about a time machine, though, you can run away all you'd like and still be home in time for tea, so what do you say? Anywhere. All of time and space right outside those doors. Does this work? Hey? Eh? <laughs> Is this actually what you do? Do you just crook your finger and people just jump in your snog box and fly away? It is not a snog box. How did you judge that? 
and I'll stop it there. And of course, there we are. We have uh, Claire with her book there. Um, Willis Girl, wherever you wish to go with these individual episodes, are some you know your your whole thoughts. Um, I, I think I'll sort of go through individual episodes of fossils, um, just quickly. Um, yes, overall, I, I right. Um, overall, I greatly enjoyed series seven of Doctor Who. Um, there was only just one episode. I repeat, just only one episode uh, that I didn't like. And it's not the one that everyone else seems to hate. Um, <laughs> let's, let's start off here with the bells of Saint John. Um, I fell asleep while watching that one, and. I guess I just didn't get enough sleep that uh, when I watched it, I watched it again and I loved it. I found it to be tolerable. It was okay, nothing special. Um, felt a little uncomfortable with the uh, possible shark jumping moment when the doctor was riding his motorbike alongside of that building. But overall, I felt that episode to be okay. It was nothing special for me. Um, now with the controversial rings of Akaton, I'm in a minority on that one. Um, I love the alien feel of it. I love the costumes and the unusual ritual singing. Um, to me, Doctor Who has always been science fantasy, not science fiction. I mean, let's face it, the Doctor carries around a magic uh, wand, which he calls a sonic screwdriver. So I had no problem with the fantasy elements of the, that particular episode. In fact, I loved it. I loved the singing. I loved the, 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 the um, spectacle of that episode. You know, along with Cold War. Um, one thing I've noticed since I listen to a lot of Doctor Who and sci-fi-oriented podcasts is that new fans of the show seem to hate it that uh, hate that particular episode for some weird reason. I don't know why. Why um, newer fans seem to have hated Cold War. Older fans like myself, I've been watching the show since I was a kid during the 80s. Um, I enjoyed that episode. I, I loved uh, seeing the Ice Warriors and um, I also love David Warner. I would love for him to return again as that sort of um, 80s Russian elderly hipster guy. I enjoyed that episode a lot. And uh, On to Hide, another episode I loved. I loved the creepiness of it. Um, even loved the monster love story. I mean, hey, even, our, even you know, monsters need love. And I love that. Um, Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. Oh, my God. You have, like, a swimming pool, the library, drinkable books. I mean, it was it was incredible. It, I, I absolutely loved Clara's dress. I would love to wear that dress. I, I want to buy that dress. It was incredible. Um, the only thing I, I didn't like is the response that that particular episode got on Gallifrey Base. Um, it, it, their negative attitude seemed to to be because it had a lot more more than just one black character in it. And that was uh, one thing that I, I felt sort of uh, uncomfortable with, you know. Um, on to uh, the Crimson... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, yeah, the, the, yeah, go on, carry on. Oh, Don't no, go ahead. I, I was going to no. say, yeah, the, 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 maybe, was it because the... Of other criticisms, do you think it was because they were unfair criticising their acting? Because, uh, if I remember rightly, that wasn't particularly strong. Uh, yeah, it could have been, but but still, it just felt it uncomfortable that yeah, they seemed yeah. to just seem to you know point point out those three particular actors, and to me, they, they did a pretty good job. Right. Yeah. Um. On with the Crimson Horror. Loved it. Um, 
I may be alone in this one, but I really love Mr. Sweet. He looks so cute, you know, for a monster. (laughs) I would like to buy one to go along with my um, little squeeze little adipose. Can Um, can I just... I I have to jump in since you love Mr. Sweet. Yeah. (laughs) There's a new comic strip that debuted in Doctor Who Adventures, and otherwise, you know... uh, well, let's just say it, execrable um, part of the Doctor Who universe that is very hard for somebody who is over the age of 10 to enjoy. But there's a great comic strip by this fabulous artist. Um, his name is Jamie Smart. And the, the thing is called Alien Babies. And it's a parody. And, and the whole idea is Dorian Maldivar has a nursery in the Medusa Cascade where he has a baby Cyberman, a baby Centaur, and a baby... Uh, whatever, lots of different aliens, and they're all good guys. And they are being attacked by the enemies of Series 7, including the most adorable rendition of Mr. Sweet that you will ever, ever see. It's (laughs) fabulous. It's worth buying. I think it's Doctor Who Magazine. What would that be? I mean, Doctor Who Adventures. Three, I want to say 17, might be 18. And it is available... uh, for download, so you don't have to get a subscription or anything, but you do have to buy, you know, per issue. But you should try if you love Mr. Sweet, and I do too. Oh, yeah. I think the design is yeah. just good. I think it's just the right mixture of gross and at the same time cuddly. Um, the, the, the Jimmy Smart's rendition of that design is hilarious. <laughs> I haven't found another uh, Mr. Sweet design lover like you, and I just wanted to throw that in there. Uh-huh. Yeah, you, you were topping out a bit there, Darth, but I think we all followed that. So that sounds something that Willis Girl might indeed do. Yeah, might just download it. Um, next up, Nightmare in Silver. This was the one episode I couldn't stand. Um, I just couldn't stand the parts with the doctor arguing with himself as Mr. Clever. Um, the background, um, looked amateurish. It seemed like a throwback to bad Doctor Who during the, uh, 70s. And, um, it it was just difficult to tell who was who. And to me, the best person who ever did anything like that, like, like talking, um, as two characters with Andy Circus when he was playing a uh, Golem, he did a better job. I could distinguish between Golem and Schmeagle, but with, with this, I, I, I just couldn't stand this episode at all. Um, I, I was really looking forward to it because it was a Neil Gaiman episode, and he did so well with uh, the Doctor's wife. And this was like a, a complete letdown for me. And also, I couldn't stand the kids. <laughs> so, were the were the Cybermen not made scary for you then? No, not at all. Not at all. It was just, I don't know. I just it couldn't stand not it. Not even the Cybermites, or what we call the Cyber. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I love the Cybermites. Yeah, they were pretty good. Um, ending up my little uh, survey through each episode, The Name of the Doctor, I felt was one of the best uh, season finales ever. Um, I, I can't wait. Uh, to see uh, what comes next. I uh, love the ending where where, um, you see John Hurt as the doctor, and I I can't believe I have to wait six months to find out how things play out. 
And oh, I also love seeing all the previous doctors on screen. That was that was like amazing fan service. You know, trying to pick out each one and you know see that they included everybody. And uh, they they did. I, I like watched it several times just just you know to uh, pick out the doctors. Right. Um, and, just focusing on that, watching several times. One of, uh, on on quite a few of the shows we've done recently over Series Seven Part Two. There's, there have definitely been a trend for some people to 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 reassess programs either upwards or downwards on second and third viewings. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously you said there was one episode you couldn't really watch again; you fell asleep in it. But I mean, do you find that um, most of these stories that you've got more out of them the second time, or uh, you've taken them at face value, or what? Oh, yeah, especially the uh, Bells of St. John. That was the one that I fell asleep on. I watched it again, and I liked it. It was okay. Right. So I, I think I was just in a bad mood or in a very <laughs> sleepy mood when I watched it. Right. I think there was some editing issues with that. Uh, uh, I seem to remember we, uh, one or two people, it just um, broke the the uh, you know the illusion for them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, the big, the big scene for me in that one were there was editing issues was that when they were exiting the TARDIS onto the plane. That was very jarring. I mean, it didn't take me out of the episode too badly, but it was noticeable. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the very fact that the, they wanted the Doctor, but yet they were going to kill him. You know, there was a slight... You know, it turned on the coin at that point, didn't it? They wanted, they wanted Clara, and then they wanted the Doctor, but... Basically, he's trying to smash him with a hammer. But um, okay, um, so um, you heard uh, Jeff when he did that. He, he he rated this series as a whole. I mean, do you feel as though you know there was a, a continuity? It was a, a pretty even. I mean, I know you said there was. Oh, some this has frankly been the most even uh, season in years. Yeah, definitely even. Uh, I'd give it a four point five. We get a 5.0, except for the, for the uh, Nightmare and Silver. Four, but overall, 4.5 for me. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. And uh, just let me uh, pause before I play another clip. We've, we, we've got Mr. Presenter coming on audio and Rick Wall, and we've got Time Lord 2525 coming into the room. Remember, for those people just coming in, there will be spoilers if you haven't seen all part two of series seven uh we're i'm going to play a clip and then we're going to kobo but since uh mr presenter's coming audio we'll go to mr presenter after kobo and um with clips in between but um here's a little clip from uh the uh the rings of akatan so i've got something for you what you kept it of course i kept it why because this exact leaf had to grow in that exact way, in that exact place, so that precise wind could tear it from that precise branch and make it fly into this exact space at that exact moment. And if just one of those tiny little things never happened, I'd never have met you. Well, <laughs> which makes this the most... And I played that clip, uh, I'll stop it there, I played that clip, Dad, because some people reassessed that particular scene after the, uh, you know, what happened at the end. Did you want to just come in and say something before we go to Kobo? I just wanted to say, did it really have to grow in that exact way? Because apparently it grew in several different ways, depending on what episode you're talking about. It came from a different (laughs) loving tree, yeah. (laughs) 
from a different continent, I think. Yeah, definitely uh, looked like um, a maple leaf to me at the start, and then it, did, it looked more like a... Well, it wasn't a chestnut tree. It was some other sort of tr- tree leaf later. It, it, I mean, I don't mind the undergoing the colour change. That would be expected, one supposes. But uh, although it looked very waxed when we first see it, it looks very waxed as though it had been preserved not by drying, but by waxing it, uh, which would have prevented it going uh, that uh, copper-brown colour. But anyway, let's uh, move on to Kobo and remember, talk about uh, any particular episodes or all of the episodes. Cover. Oh, let's start off defending the rings like a tan. <laughs> because me and Joey usually agree on most things, and this is just one that I cannot believe that Joe did not like. Well, it's hard to say. You, you, you say why you liked it. Kobo, Kobo? Are you there? To me, the doctor is all about using. Oh, we we'll, we'll, we lost you for a few minutes if you were speaking. Um, yeah, that's why I started. That's why I started over. To me, the doctor is all about using the his voice to resolve issues. And regardless of what you feel about the technical issues of the episode, I think you'll agree that he gave some of the best speeches of the series within that episode. Um, and that to me is classic Doctor Who problem solving, and the Sonic Screwdriver didn't play too big of a role in that in that particular story, which I was also a fan of and it just felt completely like a Doctor Who story um can, can I interject Kobo? yeah I, I completely agree with you on the sonic screwdriver part that you know I I think it's overused in the in the show and I was glad to see it not resolving the issue this time around um I think there were two speeches that you were talking about in this particular story. The first one I thought was brilliant, the Carl Sagan-esque uh, speech. That that was brilliant, uh, was well um, crafted, well written. The second one fell flat for me. The second one was actually better for me. Oh, I uh, disagree. Um, but I yeah, think... I um, I think it led up to the Clara and the Leaf moment nicely, and Jeff, you know why that uh, particular scene works for me <laughs> so yeah, well. Yeah, the scene res- if, if the scene resonates on a personal level, it doesn't matter really what other people think because that you know c- it triggers something off in your own personal situation so that's down to uh, color one's opinion of certain uh, scenes and who knows maybe if that scene didn't resonate with me on a personal level I might have had more problems just like everybody else but it worked with me on a deeply personal level so I can forgive any minor 
technical flaws. And the one technical flaw that I couldn't forgive was resolved by the commentary. Believe it or not. Um, when Ian was talking about how the, um, I can't remember what those things were called that were, you know, hunting the girl. Somebody oh. help me out here. Um, yeah, I can't remember either. Come on, Darth, you got to know what I'm talking about. Sorry, I, I was thinking of something else. What, what did you ask about? Um, what were those things called that were hunting the little girl? Oh, the vigil. Yeah, the yeah. The vigil. Yeah. They aren't the, they aren't individually known. They only are collectively known as the vigil. Um The vigil attacked sonically and the sonic screwdriver was used to great effect there and um it just felt a bit like a Harry Potter wand duel and I was like oh God, this is cheesy. But then when I realized it actually made contextual sense, that turned a 4.5 into a 5 for me because of Ian's comments on the commentary. Yeah, Ian did like that part. Um, and... I actually verbally said thank you, Egan, because I was looking for a reason to make that a five out of five. To be, to be honest, and the commentary just did that. And I was just blown away by this season in general. And my roommate, who has never seen Doctor Who before, was like, wow. <laughs> Have all the seasons been like this? And I was forced to go kinda sorta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Had you bet. Because um this felt more like R T V than anything we've had in the Muffin era. And It feels good to be a Doctor Who fan again. There was no really bad episode in this whole bunch. And I'm including the Cyberman episode in this. Admittedly, that was my least favorite episode of the season. But I loved the golden ticket thing. It had a Willy Wonka feel to it. There were aspects of that that I just loved, and I didn't have a problem with Matt Smith arguing with himself. Oh, that I was the best part of it. That was the only good part, yeah, really. I could distinguish between them no problem. I loved the internal chess game. That made so much logical sense to me. It just... And I think I made the mistake of watching the 
new game announcement in the series finale back to back for the first time so they kind of run together for me but I was going through a personal tragedy at the, at the time and I wanted to stockpile Doctor Who just cause losing this particular person was kinda rough on me and when I had time to sit back and breathe I could watch two new episodes of Doctor Who you know and then there again it turned a mediocre episode into an awesome episode just because of personal feelings um and I think we can all look back and point at episodes that we've watched or rewatch when we're feeling down um yeah that's pretty much all I've got really no. it's good great point to, great to be a Doctor Who fan and I can't wait six months to Okay. Well, do, do you, thank. Do, do you have a TARDIS grown rating for season seven B? Um, uh, five out of five. Wow! Oh, wow, that's great. <laughs> that's unprecedented, but we'll take it. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to ask you to mute yourself now, Kobo, if you would be so kind. Um, do you have um, the Carl Sagan speech that we were referring to? Uh, I think it's awesome and needs repeating. I don't think. I think that was a bit that I actually missed out. Uh, no, I haven't. I've got. Uh, and I, 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 what I've tried to do as well is try and keep to the shorter clips. Um, so, uh, but I'm sure all our listeners, uh, familiar as they are with Doctor Who, will will know. Um, do you want to just uh, set the the scene of when it comes, then people can check it out themselves. Uh, um, somebody more, and Dartha, no, you probably got the time stamp down on oh, that. Oh no, you, I shouldn't think so. Um, you, you watched it like no, no, I meant the, the actual gist, the gist of it in terms of so they'll recognize it. It's kind of a, you know, a star exploded for you. There will only ever be one, one version of you. The kind of Carl Sagan-y, wonderful cosmos thing that I wanted to stand up and cheer, you know. Whenever, well, sh- whenever a show makes me forget that I'm in a wheelchair, that is good television. <laughs> oh my God! It just makes you want to cry. Well, let's see. I'll change the clip. I've got the bit where he talks about an uh, an infinity of lives, so we'll play that. Um, guys, the, the regulars, uh, we've got Mystery M and Rick Wall coming, so we'll go to Mystery M after this clip, and let's hope at least it touches a little bit, this clip, on what Kobo was saying. We don't walk away. <laughs>
hungry? I brought something for you. This. The most important leaf in human history. The most important leaf in human history. It's full of stories. It's full of history. It's full of a future that never got lived. Days that should have been that never were. Passed on to me. Leaf isn't just the past. It's a whole future that never happened. There are billions and millions of unlived days for every day we live an infinity. All the days that never came. And these are all my mum's. Well, come on in. Eat up. It's full. I expect so. Because there's quite a difference, isn't there, between what was and what should have been. There's an awful lot of one, but there's an infinity of the other. An infinity is too much. Even for your rapid And I'll stop there because six, the Seventh Doctor has put something in text. Go on, Jeff. Uh, Dave, I have the Carl Sagan speech uh, from Akatan. If you want, I can play that. Please. That would okay. be brilliant. All right, here we go. Here you go, Kobo. Do you mind if I tell you a story, one you might not have heard? All the elements in your body were forged many, many millions of years ago in the heart of a faraway star that exploded and died. That explosion scattered those elements across the desolation. So many millions of years, these elements came together to form new stars and new planets. On and on it went. Came together and burst apart, forming shoes and ships and sealing wax and cabbages and kings. Until, eventually, they came together to make you. You are unique in the universe. There is only one, Mary. Galel. There will never be another. Getting rid of that existence isn't a sacrifice. It is a waste. Okay, it just broke up a little bit, but thank you very much for that, Jeff. Uh, I'm sure you've made Kobo happy. I love both those pieces, but I have to say I love the second one slightly more. Okay. Um, but I know the Carl Sagan one resonated with everyone. Um, and that episode is just magical, and I love the Alice in Wonderland re- references there. It added to the fantasy element, and um, and fit Leah as well. I can hear how I was getting mixed up with that cabbage and kings. And no, it's actually um the walrus and the sailor. Ah, right. By yeah. Lewis Carroll. 
lovely. Um, okay. that'll be my favorite episode ever. Unless something really, uh, really, really amazing happens. Oh, well, hopefully so in November. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay, but well, thank, thank you for that. You, you've given your rating, you've given it a five. Let's not, to, let's not give you a chance to reduce that, so I'm very <laughs> pleased with that. Okay, well, um, let's, um, I've, I've just played that clip. Let's go to Mr. Presenter and see if he wants to give his thoughts on Series 7, Part 2. Hi. Um, hello, Dave. Hiya. Um, Hi. Um, one thing I have to say, um, I really enjoyed the last episode the, of the series. The name, the name of the Doctor. Um, yeah. Especially the best way to see a future like Doctor at the end. Um, also, getting an understanding of like why Car appeared so many times to the Doctor. Like, I kind of knew that she was going to go into the team to try and fix things up at that point. Um, also, it's great to see a Riffison, like, basically one that's set after Science in the Library and Forest of the Dead. As kind of like where her t- team was saved in the computer. So they're able to contact that kind of part of Riffison. Right. Um, also, I thought the, the Nightmare and Silver was quite good as well. Yeah, so so you were one of the yeah. fans of the, the the way the Cybermen were brought back. What did you think um, of the... Yeah. Whether they were more frightening or what? Um, yeah, a bit more... I thought maybe a bit more bark like in the sense like that well when they could attack people and kind of convert them into Cybermen. Well there was a few things that were a bit contentious with some people. I mean, I think uh, one of the things that Jeff touched on, I think perhaps prior to you came on was uh, I think, well, Jeff can speak for himself, but I think basically, Jeff, you were thinking they were more robotic than cy- uh, Cybermen in this one. Was that, was yeah, that your issue? I, yeah, I, I didn't see any humanity at all in the Cybermen. Now, I know that they're supposed to remove all the emotion from, you know, the, the upgraded humans into Cybermen, but, you know, they, they were removing heads and removing hands, and they were... Um, they were able to function on their own. It it just did not feel like anything like a human at all. And when you look at the classic series and you look at the Cybermen, especially earlier on in, in Troughton and Hartnell, the, the Cybermen really had a humanoid element to them. And that, that's completely missing. So this just does not feel like the Cybermen. Neil Gaiman was supposed to bring back the Cybermen of old. That didn't happen for me. We didn't really have them talking, did we, other than their leader as such? But anyway, anyway, sorry, uh, I knocked my mic then if everybody got a bang in their ear. Um, Sorry, Mr. M, I mean, you know... 
but but it was one that you liked. That, that's the point. So we're we're on your uh, yeah. your take. Yeah. Um, the other bit I like, I suppose, is um, well, like that makes a bit more bulk, like from Stash Hack, was when they could learn to adapt to the different weapons, so that it no longer could affect them. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. Their the cry of upgrade or whatever it was. Each yeah. Time, yeah. Yeah. Like the bulk kind of done the same learned. You know, just to attack them, you had to change weapons, kind of. Yeah, um, and of course, also, there'll be debates going on all over the place yeah. whether uh, Doc Chu's borrowing from uh, Star Trek or the other way around. Yeah. i say probably lost places copy to invention. If they right. think it's a good idea in one, then they adapt it in a spell. Uh, the Borg were the... stolen from Doctor Who in the first place, so it's about time we reciprocated. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, yeah. The right link yeah, in that. That's not really how that works, but okay. Hmm. Uh, it's enough to cause thought... a debate, yeah. Go on, go on anyway, sorry. I thought the kids were quite good in it for my guy episode. Wow. Also, kind of the way they... Um, black smells. Um, sorry, what's the companion again? Clara. Oh, Clara, yeah. Kind of blackmails her when they find out that she's been traveling time by the photographs and that. You didn't Hello. think that was a... a well, the, uh, many people thought that was like a tagged-on scene to explain the next episode rather than part and parcel of the that that story it seemed like a bit of a tagged on yeah uh, well probably in a way of explaining like how they ended up in the next coming with Doctor the next episode part um, also with Quentin Hart I was found like a bit of mystery like how the guy actually saw the Doctor as the last person Right, and now that is a theme that they've touched on before, isn't it? Where yeah. you know the doctor's the, the monster of the piece. Yeah. Well, he's the daughter kind of causes cause him a monster because of what happens, like to him. Unless. Um. Also, I like the bit in the Crimson Horror where they has all the microphones. Transmitting the sounds of the machine to make yes, it look I like that was in an initiative, yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, one of the things that not been mentioned by anybody yet, but um, we've had some great guest stars on during this series because there was uh, uh, Diana Rigg, was uh, yeah, Diana Rigg on this one, yeah, the Crimson Horror, and she has Rock Davis, Mike Man, Silver, yeah. Um, the other episode I enjoyed was Journey to the Center of the Tartus. Right. I kind of enjoyed seeing the rest of the Tartus. Especially, as was mentioned, like you had the library in the swimming pool. Right. Yeah, that was uh, Willis Girl. I don't know whether you were in the room then, but Willis Girl, uh, yeah. I think it was that enjoyed that. Yeah. 
Also, I like the bit where they made fun of a reset button. <laughs> like, kind of big frenzy button. Right. You know, like, from the rest of T. Davis there, where he usually had a reset. Like, press the button on that. Right. Kind of making fun of that. It sounds as though overall you've been, um, you know, pleased with how how the second half of Series Seven has gone. Um, yep. Would you give it an overall rating? I mean, would you feel it's consistent enough to give an overall rating, or do you, or not? Um, yeah, I think I will. Um, is this out of five? Just wow. Oh, what? Are you rating system? Uh, well, uh, yeah, out of five. One so, I mean, five. Yeah. Uh, I think I give a five out of five. Right. That's what I thought. I heard you say firstly. Sorry. But great. That is, well, it's two in a row. We'll have to get some sceptical in later, but there we go. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, thank you for that. What I'm going to do is going to move on to um, the next episode, which is Cold War. I'll play a couple of clips from that. I'll play one and we'll go to Rick Wall and then we'll go to Ken after uh, with, of course, clips in between. But here we are. Uh, a couple of random clips. I'll play just one now from uh, Cold War. You idiot. Grand Marshal Skalak. You know him. Sovereign of the Tharsisian caste, vanquisher of the Phobos heresy, the greatest hero the proud martial race has ever produced. So what do we do now? Lock him up. Is it true? survival armor so they could exist in the freezing cold of their home world, but a sudden increase in temperature and the armor goes haywire. Like with a cattle prod thing? Like that cattle prod thing. Bit of a design flaw, to be honest. I've always wondered why they never sorted it. Oh, look, you've got me telling you about them, and I said there wasn't time. But I think they took the time, because I've got a feeling that uh, they'll be back, or maybe even this particular Ice Warrior himself will be back. And uh, I think for some people it solved quite a lot of, um, uh, well, not continuity, but... uh, vague thoughts about how they looked and so on. And there were one or two controversial things in it. But um, let's go to to Rick Wall, please, and uh, give your overall thoughts of the these last eight episodes, please. All right. Uh, let me first say that criticism is highly subjective and individual. Uh, and also, uh, the Borg and the Cybermen have both been ripped off um, um, or actually are rip-offs of 
something that was written in the 1800s, I believe. I'm not sure of the exact date. Uh, it's a play called R.U.R. Watson's Useful Robots. And other books from the 50s and 60s by various science fiction writers. Um, now, for the season. Uh, I think it was Darth who said it a while back that Moffat picks one good script and then a crappy script or a not-so-great script. Well, on purpose. Uh, well, no, not, probably not on purpose. Uh, but um, um, that's not. the way. You mean you mean if he's got weaker scripts, he tries to spread them out. You mean uh, is that yeah. what you're inferring? Yeah. Um, I, I sh- I'm sorry if I used the wrong wording, but you know, like uh, we had Cold War. Then I forget the episode after that. Hide. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, then we had, um, I forget the script before the uh, Cyberman episode. Uh, well, let, let me refresh you. It, it was the, the first one was The Bells of uh, St. John. Then we had The Rings of Akatan. Right. Then Cold War. Then Hyde then Journey into the Centre of the TARDIS, The Crimson Horror, uh, Nightmare in Silver, and the final one, The Name of the Doctor. Right. Um, You know, I I liked uh, The Crimson Horror. I didn't like the the Cyberman episode as much, and I should have, because I do like Neil Gaiman. But uh, as a friend of mine and I have discussed a number of times, you can't produce gold all the time. Um, Then we get to the name of the doctor. And I raised my uh, um, uh, rating of this season from a two and a half do a three because of the name of the doctor. Uh, I thought it was a relatively mediocre season or half season or whatever you want to call it till the name of the doctor. Like I said, when, when John Hurt appeared, I let out a scream and, uh, um, Devil Dog here did not... Well, she thought I was mad at somebody. So she comes running <laughs> down. Uh, I guess she's not used to, to loud noises. Gets upset with me raising my voice for whatever reason. Uh, either being happy or, or being angry. Uh, but... Um, yeah, yeah. I I thought both parts of the season were very uneven. Um, you know, hopefully 
um, season eight will be a little better. Uh, I will give Moffat the chance because it's his first full season of being a producer. Uh, let's see what happens next. Okay. Wait, I'm sorry. What? It's his first full season of being the producer. What are you talking about? All right. Second season of being a producer? Third. Third. All right. Would you like to revise your opinion about whether you want to give him the opportunity? Uh, I'll give him another season. (laughs) I'm lenient that way. Actually, I think this has been his best um, by far. He will be overjoyed that he's giving him a chance. Yeah, it's certainly been uh, at, at it some time now. Uh, I mean, uh, may well have been over overwhelmed with the sheer workload that he'd taken on at one point. Of course, remember, he, he was also fairly busy on Sherlock as well, as a thing to remember. Yeah, I mean, he's, been the, na- he's been the name producer since 2008. I mean, behind the yeah. scenes, obviously. He's been credited <laughs> since 2010, but had his chance. Okay, but uh, he's still got to win you over, Rick Wall. That's, yeah, for whatever let's see what happens in November and past that. Okay. Let me let me play a second clip from uh, Cold War, uh, and then we'll go to Ken. Thank you for waiting. And uh, uh, go to Darth after. I think we had the other you the other way around last time. So thank you for waiting, guys. So short clip, just over a minute and 20 seconds, and then we'll go to Ken. Disarming the warheads. Where is the honor in condemning billions of innocents to death? 5,000 years ago, Mars was the center of a vast empire, the jewel of this solar system. The people of Earth had only just begun to leave their caves. 5,000 years isn't such a long time. They're still just frightened children, still primitive. Who are you to judge? I am Skeldak. This planet is forfeit under Martian law. Then teach them, teach them. Grand Marshal, show them another way. Show them there is honor in mercy. Is this how you want history to remember you? Grand Marshal Skaldak, destroyer of Earth. Because that's what you'll be if you send those missiles. Not a soldier, a murderer. Five billion lives extinguished, no chance for goodbye to the world. A world snuffed out like a candle flame. All right, all right, Skaldak, you leave me no choice. I'm a Time Lord, Skaldak. I know a thing or two about sonic technology myself. That's right. You threatened me, Doctor. No. No, not you. All of us. I will blow this sub up before you can even reach that button, Grand Marshal. Blow us all to oblivion. You would sacrifice yourself. In a heartbeat. And uh, I think, uh, mind you, Kevin might want to say, I've got to admire Nicholas Briggs, uh, bringing a lot of personality and character to the voice of uh, Shaldak. I think that's how you pronounce the name. But anyway, don't want to put words into Ken's mouth. He's and such an eloquent th- guy. That's another thing that what? I forgot to mention in my um, glowing review was Murray Gold was on form this season. The music worked really well, by and large. Even Ooh. though I know... Even though I know a lot of it was rehashed, I thought it worked really well. 
especially in the rings of Agatan, where it needed needed to work well. It just accented the speeches for me. And yeah, there was some thought. Some of the uh, some stock music, our uh, music was reused. But I mean, if if you if it if it enhanced it for you, then then that's fine. Uh, Ken, are you, have you got audio? Are you still with us? And yes, I am. 25, 25, 25, obviously they won't hear me if they don't, but I did yes, put I text in there for them. To, thank you, Ken. Uh, time Lord, uh, to to log out and back in again. But I put that information in text. Uh, go on, Ken, please. All right. I love that clip. Thank you. You knew what I was thinking. Um, Nicholas Briggs is fantastic as Skaldak, and that, I think, was a brilliant, brilliant episode. Um, makes me think of just general thoughts of the 50th anniversary of about Stephen Moffat. Um, a lot of love for him and a lot of angst for him. And um, I really appreciate what he's done. Not, not always pleased with everything, but he he's made such a really remarkable stamp on the world of Doctor Who. He, as a writer, he's known as Jack Harkness, Weepy Angels, River Song, Silence, Amy and Rory, Clara, and he's the man who chose Matt Smith as the 11th Doctor, and also gave us Curse of Fatal Death in, in the Wilderness Years, which is beloved. I think that almost set the pattern for uh, the revamp in uh, New Who, from what he did in that. So, and he had a real daunting task taking over for uh, RTD. It was not easy. Um, after, I think, brilliant years. And I, I was watching End of Time uh, the other day again, and tears in my eyes. And going, God, you know, as good as the show has been, um, you know, I, I miss sometimes that, that real good poetry. And, and that that empathy I felt for the show, and I had it in the, in the uh, name of the doctor. So uh, my my hats off to him. Um, you know, I think the big problem with the earlier seasons was it wasn't necessarily about the doctor and companion. It was all about the mystery of the companion, and we weren't really able to see Amy and Rory live a life. They were functions of of the plot and the great mystery and what was happening. And they were great set pieces. I mean, I loved Pandorica Opens, not so much the following episode. Um, Good Man Goes to War comes to mind. Brilliant. But then when we got to the resolution and it's, oh, okay, that's how we got out of the whole trap. It, It becomes, you know, mechanics. And we've got away from that the the entire season seven. I, I still wish we had two-part episodes every now and then. And a lot of times the episodes end really before they should. I wish we had like about 10 or 15 minutes more for resolution and, and, and for character bits. But with the switchover and the really heartfelt ending, I think, to the Amy and Rory uh, saga, by introducing Clara... We've got someone who's just such an instinctive actress, and 
even if it's not there on paper, um, Jenna Louise Coleman is such a fine actress. She she makes every word live. And even when she's not speaking, she's listening. She's reacting. And mm-hmm. it's a delight watching the two of them work together. Um, let me go over briefly about uh, 7B, episode uh, by episode, my, my, my feelings on it. Um, the Snowman. I have to begin with that. I really enjoyed this. I I loved the uh, triumvirate of Vastra, Jenny, and Strax. Much has been said that we'd love them to get a spinoff, and I, and I would love it. I would love it, or a special, or something. I I love that period of time. Um, the Doctor being depressed over what happened with uh, Amy and Rory wants to shut himself off from the world and we're we're having a um renewal of of themes from the RTD age come back for the 50th and I, I don't mind that you know let, let let the other writers have their take on it it's it, it's welcome to me it i had a feeling of comfort uh from last season and especially these episodes like jeff said earlier it's like it's like old home week I really get the feeling of classic Who, and it just, it just feels right. Um, the Snowman, uh, very good introduction. The um, surprise uh, death of Clara after her introduction in Asylum of the Daleks, an episode I always enjoyed. Daleks partially, but mostly, and I, I would say triumphantly for what Clara's part was in it and and her sacrifice and the meaning of that and just the big uh, gobsmack of uh, her being introduced to it. You know, hooray for the press keeping that silent mm-hmm. and for letting us have the surprise there because, you know, there's so many spoilers we get automatically, Facebook, press, whatever, that, that we don't we don't get that joy. And... They really did a nice job keeping that under wraps. Snowman was an excellent episode. I, I love the look of it. Uh, I thought it was f- finally directed. Saul Metstein has really uh, become one of the great new directors, I think, on the show, um, giving us good episode after episode and uh, cutting his chops on this. I think he did a, a really good job. Um, then... The series proper, um, Bells of St. John. Well, we have our Mar- our uh, Moffat faint about the meaning of the title. Uh, the bells or the, the phone call of the TARDIS reintroducing us to the modern Clara. And it's, it, it's a good episode. It's a good episode. N- nothing brilliant. But I, I really uh, liked it for Celia Emery's work and that she's always such a good actress. Um, anyone get a chance to see it? Um, the um, movie she did. Oh, I'm blanking on the name of it. Darth knows. Marigold Hotel. is She's amazing in that film. She's amazing in that film. I recommend that to anyone. Um 
very good episode. It's interesting again having the uh, great intelligence back as the as the villain for this, and fun with the Wi-Fi. Again, a good episode. Um, a lot of the fun. I I really enjoyed the uh, motorcycle um, going up the shard. I I thought that was a blast. It was it was so strange and unnatural and so and really speaks of Doctor Who. And there was a giddiness to Matt Smith, you know, really uh, having fun. You could tell they had fun doing that episode. Uh, Rings of Akatan. Um, I'm I'm still mixed on this episode. I I found the alien costuming work left me cold. I don't know why. It just it just seemed kind of fake looking to me. Kind of uh, maybe it's how it was lit. Um, we didn't get uh, really an understanding of of what this planet was. What really happens at the end? If it was an entity, is it become dormant or falls asleep at the end, or is it destroyed? Um, but forgetting that for a moment, the emotional beats were very good. Matt Smith had some great moments. I love the Carl Sagan speech. Not so much the main speech. Sorry, Kobo. Uh, I, I had a feeling of him... Um, with his bring it on baby line, I, I, that seems arch to me. I don't know. It, it didn't work. But then when we transitioned to Clara, the meaning of the leaf, and all of that, beautiful, beautiful. And that was great. And I, and I especially liked the prologue. So all in all, a, a good episode. I liked the music. It is um, a very different kind of episode. I, I, I give them props for doing that. It, it, it's it's um, very symbolic and almost Doctor Who does tone poem. So uh, it, it's fun. It, it's a fun episode. I, 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 I don't hate it. There's one episode I just do not like. And remember from my ratings, that's my biggest disappointment. It comes later. Uh, we go to Cold War, a triumph. Mark Gaddis is really becoming a favorite of mine on the show from what he's done this season and some very good previous seasons. Um, it is great what they did with the Ice Warriors. Uh, Nicholas Briggs' voice was perfect. Terrifying, majestic. Uh, the Cold War scenario... Was was beautiful. David Warner is great in everything he does. Uh, you know, even even if it's a mediocre project, but this this definitely was not. The guest cast was was brilliant. Um, and Jenna Louise Coleman, her confrontation scene uh, with Skaldak was terrifying. Um, I Can gave I just it. say, now that I've done Please. the research on David Warner, I, <laughs> Bravo. I, I agree with you, Ken. He's great. He's great in everything he does. And does that, does that mean you want your geek back, badge back? <laughs> yeah, please. Applause to Kobo, everyone. <laughs> 
for extracurricular activity. That's very Yay. good. Yay. <laughs> good boy, Kobo. Yes. Now go watch Time Bandits. Um, <laughs> and especially and especially Time After Time. Um, yeah. Oh, yes. Got to watch that one. Yes. Yep. By the great Nick Meyer, who did Star Trek Wrath of Time. Uh, plug. Okay. Um, just stupendous episode. Um, I think I gave it a rating of four and a half before. Let's give it up to five uh, for this. It was wonderful. Um, next hide. Again, it's an, an, another great episode uh, following a past one. Um, I, I loved the love story in this. The the poetry of the look of the episode, the dual storyline of of the girl trapped in time and the lonely monster. They this this episode could have been a two parter easily, needed another fifteen minutes, but again a great great episode, and that smile by Jenna Louise Coleman. When he's talking about the box. Yes. Yeah. It, it, I, I, it's wonderful. Go. Oh, go ahead. I, I think the same thing of Akatan. If they could have added 15, 20 minutes to that story and padded out, you know, explained things better. And Given a definition. It, tell us exactly it, what's going on. Exactly. Gave more meaning, and, not just the planet going zip-zop. Well, I think you I think you hit it there, Ken. At the end, they should have explained, well, what's going to happen with these races now that yeah, their they, god is we, gone? We, yeah, we've taken away their god symbol, their 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 whole meaning of their existence. And this was a surprise. That wasn't supposed to be the god symbol. It was what was in the box was supposed to be the god symbol. So this was this was from left field. That that was something else. Um, the musical motifs, I think, were fine. But for some reason, and I... I um, grid, again, Gridlock, I love. Gridlock's one of my favorites. Yeah. And when the music rises in that, and that whole episode, that, that wonderful way RTD had of taking the smallest character and giving them definition and life, um, was was just amazing, and that episode. I mean, every little part. These were so fully fleshed out. I'm, you know, I'm, I wish I was in Colton in those days, so I could have waxed euphoric or given the brick <laughs> bat to different things. But you know, you're going to have me, you know, uh, hear hear me, uh, you know, exploding over human nature, different things like that. But um, you know the. When when they're rocking back and forth, almost doing a wave, and singing, and it's kind of and it's a kumbaya moment. It seemed so wrong to me. I don't know. You know, it just it just did did not work. It was it was kind of a dare I say it Star Wars holiday special moment for me. So, uh, but. Leaving that, it, it was good. Uh, still on hide. Um, just 
lovely episode. You know, what, what can I say? The um, the guest cast um, was especially brilliant, and learning that that they initially uh, wanted to make it uh, Quatermass really is fascinating, and that would have been so neat. But I but I think that the newly revamped Hammer films wants to do their own Quatermass project. I mean, I heard that a few years ago, either television or film, so I don't know where that's going. Journey to the Center of the TARDIS, I enjoyed the episode, but I wanted more from it. I, uh, I, I don't know if it was the classic TARDIS in there, more of a link spiritually uh, to the Doctor's wife, it had some nice things, but it was Clara finds revelations out, Clara forgets revelations, and I and I thought the uh, the um, three brothers or the the two brothers and their their faked out brother was the robot, so ill defined and so poorly acted that really kind of brought down the episode for me. Um, they were B plots anyway, and just an but, excuse but, but for But they were things. right. But B plots important, and the whole thing is, if you're going to put someone who is of a nature so vicious to someone that they're going to make them a non-entity, to someone's own flesh and blood, they're going to make them fake them out and say you're a robot just for the fun of it. Well, I, such cruelty exists. But that person's almost bordering on a sociopath. I want to see it. Make that person really bad. And then have a sea change at the end. I'm not, I'm not saying it has, has to be so life-affirming and all of that. You know. But if you're going to have somebody do that, it's not something jokey. Oh, I just felt like it because uh, I, I wanted to keep my brother down, so I'm going to utterly destroy his existence. Um, it really waxed wrong to me. And I mean, even though it was a B-plot, it was you know, something that was just really annoying uh, to me. Um, well, well, you know, Ken, if I can interject. Please. I, I, I think there are people in the world that would do that, so I don't know if that's really out of character. Oh, I, I didn't think it was out of character. I just thought it was ill-defined. Okay. Uh, yeah. Fair enough on that. You know, I mean... I th- I think if we're going to do it, um, I don't know. It, it just seems sloppily done. You but know. then with the last episode, you said Clara forgets revelations, but when we get to the name of the doctor, she begins to remember. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I I didn't think that was a bad thing. It was it was annoying at the time. Like oh, one step forward, one step back, but. By by the glimmer at the end, because there's a change in the picture, we go, or is everything forgotten? It's the old time fifties science fiction movie, the end with the question mark, you know, going up there. So, you know, um, a a good episode. Um, I I like the glowing uh, TARDIS tree. I liked briefly seeing the swimming pool. Um, I really enjoyed the uh, liquid uh, encyclopedia Gallifreya, which which links to uh, 
the end of time. I, uh, with the, the use of the uh, potions of Gallifrey, which I always thought was a neat thing. I know some people said, oh, they're Harry Pottering up Doctor Who, and it's it's so silly, the master coming out of that cauldron. I I, I didn't find that odd at all. I mean, it, can, it's, can it's, I it's, a, it's a poetic going thing. Back to Hyde? Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, did anybody else think that the other time traveler was going to be a secondary companion? Just for a second there? No, because it wasn't announced, unfortunately. <laughs> There's just so much news and things. I, you know, I think that that almost gets into a, a spoiler thing. We know so many months earlier about companions. That See, I intentionally avoid that stuff. So that's, I, that's good. I, I genuinely thought that she was going to be, you know, a secondary companion. I was like, rock on. Yeah. Although, although Ken, um, I had no idea that Rory was going to become a, a companion. Now I don't know if that was announced or not, no. but it was a surprise well, yeah, to me. Well, yeah, they kept it. They they kept that. I mean, he was a cast member, but they they didn't know. I don't think we ever knew exactly how important he was going to be. Well, see, that was a clever cover up, and it's it, it's weird because they. Tried with Matt Smith to do what they did with Peter Davison. You know, Peter Davison is famous for going around and saying, oh, they filmed my first series out of order because I wasn't any good, and they were giving me a chance to get to Castrovalva, which is crap. That was never the case, and it's very nice of him, you know, to try to cover that up. But basically, he was, uh, that was all filmed out of order because they didn't have Castrovalva ready. You know, they had this this big uh, fall-through, and I'm sorry, Kobo, I'm hearing myself, uh, but th- they had this, you know, fall-through on Castrovalva, and that that, that meant that they had to film it out of order. They had no choice about it. Um, and this, what they were doing with um, Matt Smith's first season is very much the same thing. They filmed more or less uh, the episodes that came before the introduction of Rory so that, therefore, the press wouldn't get wind of it. You know, so the, that's not entirely true. There's, I think there's one or two, one episode maybe that was filmed after Rory was announced. But they did basically invert the filming of the series so that uh, Rory wouldn't be seen in outside shots for quite a while, and that and that was how they defended the the that revelation from the press. So it's nothing to do with trying to get Matt Smith. You know, Matt Smith obviously, as you can tell from you know the the uh, the Angels episodes, which were his actual first ones. As you can tell, you know, right from the start, he was totally competent. There was no question of him needing that run-up. It was just because they were actively trying to hide the Rory thing. Yeah. And then with Rory, we never knew exactly, well, dead, not dead, dead, not dead, dead, not dead. You know, with him. Um, Oh my God, they killed Rory. Yes, yes. (laughs) And being the namesake of a character, they kill constantly on an animated show. I understand the feeling. Um, I'll always avoid, or I now always do, avoid the BBC website because I remember I was just checking for the link to be able to get Doctor Who Confidential at the time, and I didn't mean to, and the episode... 
I think had just been shown, it was on a Saturday, and it said, saying goodbye to Rory Williams. I went, what? I was like, oh, God. I go, do you have to post that immediately? Do you have to do that? So, you know, always avoid certain sites if you can. Okay, then we come to the Crimson Horror. Oh, Mark Gaddis again. And uh, near to sheer perfection. Stylized wonderment. And Diana Rigg and her daughter and Matt Smith and Jenna Louise at their best. And the Paternoster gang returned. More Strax, who I think should be a national shrine these days. <laughs> and... Uh, Jenny and Madame Bastra, and Tom Tom joke. Yes, Tom Tom joke is great, and uh, the wonderful little red worm, Mister Sweet, who is strangely disgusting and cute at the same time. I I really agree with Willis Girl, and I'm going to be looking for that comic strip too. I mean, that you know, not since the Legion of Super Pets. Sounds like there should be such an assembly. Um, but um, this this was a great episode. I uh, had no problems with it. Um, I even didn't have a problem with the rocket going off. I don't know if they had a protection or a cooling factor to the flame, but I think I rack it up to the same feeling I had when I either read or saw the movie The Rocketeer, um, why doesn't he burst into flames having that rocket pack on his back and the flames shooting down? Well, I'll just live with it. It's just one of those things. And it was a brilliant episode. Um, Victoriana at its best. And again, Saul Metstein, great job of direction. And hooray, Mark Gaddis. Um, again, a wonderful job. Then we come to my disappointment of the season, Nightmare in Silver. This, I think, was the worst episode. This really broke my heart in a way. Um, Neil Gaiman. I love Neil Gaiman. I love his work on Sandman. I love his books. I love Neverwhere. Doctor's Wife is utterly brilliant. And I really adore the Cybermen. They, in fact, there's a bit of me roots them on over the Daleks. I have always loved them. Um, I got to know Jerry Davis personally when he lived in Los Angeles. So I have a special place in my heart for the Cybermen. And they were a dud. They were clanking still, totally robotic. I didn't like the voice. Yeah, they're stronger. Yeah, they can upgrade immediately which makes them super invulnerable, but that doesn't make them interesting. There was no plotting. There was no exact connection. There there was no cyber leader and grace to them. And except for the scene reminiscent of Tomb when they're coming out of some cyber tombs, they were, they were pretty much of a loss. I, I did like the cyber mites. Those those were spooky. That was that was nice. Um, the 
duality scenes with Matt Smith uh, and the um, he's not the cyber leader he's the um, what do they call him exactly cyber Mr. Clever cyber planner yeah Mr. Clever Um, I like them but I would have found it so much more interesting and Matt Smith is so good at the low burn had he not gone gone with his stock over-the-top, you know, kind of performance. Now, this is this is a directorial uh, cue. I'm not going to go just on him. How wonderful would it have been to do just a totally defined, different character, cold, calculating, utterly evil, and so different from anything we've seen him do. Now, what he did seemed to be a third personality. It was the cyber planner diffused through the 11th Doctor persona with the jubilation and the wit and sarcasm, and it was fun. And I did enjoy it on that level, but it's just a big what-if, what he could have done with that, which would have made the episode really so much more chilling. I mean, there were a few lines like that. I utterly hated the kids. I hated having them there. They were an obvious plot ploy. Let's have the kids there because kids can be in danger. Let's say that children all of a sudden are important because we need the the brains of children. Why? It, it doesn't make any sense. And the amusement park scenario? If you had the money, and again... I always have the feeling, bravo to these people making this show. Budget constraints, time constraints, pressures, personal pressures. He's doing another show, a lot of different things. That doesn't change what's on screen, but, you know, it's not easy to run a show. Um, If it was a live amusement park, an amusement park of the future, and it's the grand opening day, and let's say they had the great enemy ride and it's you have children with cybermen and dalek balloons you can even make a winking uh sarcastic pastiche of disneyland if you wanted with the whole thing and you if you wanted to use children as bait you have an amusement park full of endless crowds who are going to be taken over by the cybermen that would have been fun i know budgetary hell perhaps but that might have been a blast. Other things kind of confusing. If the Cybermen have been gone for a thousand years, why are there working weapons to battle Cybermen? That's like uh, the American government still having siege machines. That doesn't really make sense. Why were they there armed and ready to maybe fight Cybermen? Also, why did they even allow, if the Cybermen are so hated, that this Mr. Wembley can have representations, working models, or even props that simulate the dread enemy? That's like somebody going around with, I don't know, Adolf Hitler mannequins. You know, it just seemed kind of really odd. You know, I, I don't want to be over picky with it, but... And again, it's the case of the Emperor, and Warwick Davis was great in it. I love the way he played the part, and there was pathos to it, and I really enjoyed what he did with what he was given. 
if the Cybermen were destroyed a thousand years ago, and it's he had his own version of the Time War in essence, and he made this horrible decision that uh, you know he, they'll even they'll even wipe a world out if there's one Cyberman it's gotten that bad with with their final option. He's a thousand years old, or is he the descendant of the emperor that that did that task? There, there's never clarity on that. So, I think probably on paper, this looked a lot different. I I just was not happy with it. Um, I think think the things I liked best were the the Matt Smith. Uh, Mr. Clever moments, and Clara taking charge. She did a nice job. It's a, it is a little strange that she's so gung ho and so good at it for someone with with no military expertise. But you could go into uh, what's going to happen next as being part of it. All in all, all weakest weakest of the season, and really a disappointment considering it's Neil Gaiman. And I, I think it's got to be maybe one of the worst Cyberman episodes ever. Um, just not just saying not, nothing. <laughs> huh? the, hmm? Not the greatest of fans of Cyberman, I must admit. Um, that is saying nothing. Well, I, okay, all right. I love them, so it, it bugs me. I, I'm with you, Ken. I love them. You know, and I mean, I, I go back to the days of Attack of the Cybermen. And uh, you know, e- even even lately, the Cybus versions, there was much more terror and the feeling of loss. You you felt there was a person inside there uh, getting lost and a tragedy going on. And and the next Doctor also, I I, I really really in, in, in enjoyed uh, how the Cybermen were shown in that. Uh, and, the thing uh, I like about the next Doctor was you had no clue that the Cybermen were going to be the enemy in that one. Because it's always something something of the Cybermen. And especially yeah. next Doctor was so much fun. We we got to see the uh, the shots of all the Doctors. and uh, Especially like, oh, there's, there's Paul McGann, first time. And I think that was the first time in the series that all the Doctors were shown in in quote unquote new who, so that was really if only cool. that were the case. Hmm. If only that were the case. No, they've been seen ad nauseum at this point. Well, no, I, okay. I'm I think that was, the, that was the first time in the show that they were shown. No, not the only. It wasn't even the first. First, was, I mean, you know, there's Next Doctor is probably the first sort of run through of all of them. But right, you had, that's what I meant. You know, human nature does have them. Well, in the book, but I'm saying showing every image of every Doctor footage. I'm sorry, I must footage. Have, footage. I must, I, I'm sorry, I must have misheard you because I thought you were saying this episode. What the one you're talking about, Nightmare and Silver? No, 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 no. no. I'm sorry. Next audience. Doctor. Next Doctor. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, although nice that they did show them in Nightmare and Silver, so it was a decent thing. Um, then we come to the name of the Doctor, which I thought was sublime. Um, five stars. Um, 
Oh yeah, I can. I'm just gonna mention this. Okay, go before, ahead. Before I saw the next doctor, I just saw your post on Facebook that said something like, this episode is glorious, and I thought, fantastic, I got something to look forward to. <laughs> Um, it it was a joy um, from from the very beginning of it to the the uh, Matt, Matt Smith um, as an actor the way he portrays the Doctor ninety five percent of the time I'm really enjoying him now I've said it and I'll say it a million times um, of the new series David Tennant is my Doctor uh, RTD is the producer that gave me so much joy. Um, I never thought I could get the emotional quality and subtext from Doctor Who from what I had uh, from the new series. It was like everything I loved in the classic series with with shadings and, and romance and pathos and horror and, and different things added. I, I never thought they would do something like human nature or turn left. I, I never dreamed they would have episodes like that. So it was it was like a gift. Um, can 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 I interrupt just a minute? Go ahead, Kobo. Can you mute, please? Can you self mute? Oh, sorry about that. Thank you. Go ahead, Ken. Thank you, Jeff. Okay, thank you. Um, this episode touches on that same feeling. Um, there there's been some amazing things. In in the Moffat show running of Who, but not not run by not read excuse me not written by Stephen Moffat, uh, Vincent and the Doctor comes to mind and Doctor's Wife, um, Girl Who Waited, you know these are, these are great moments but they're not written by Stephen Moffat. This is the Moffat of old writing, the Moffat that uh, gave us Blink. This was controlled. The arc was subtle throughout the episodes without smashing you over the head. It it wasn't so in your face every moment. It, it wasn't that the mystery of Clara is going to end the universe or the crack in time, or we have to go back and to this time to do this. No, she was important because it had a meaning to the doctor, because he began to really care about this person, and vice versa. And he is trusting her, but there's something wrong, there's something different. And she makes this choice of sacrifice. And there's that common thread in the show that the doctor makes you a better person and being around the doctor <laughs> makes you great and she has achieved her greatness which, which I think she already had in her by being around the doctor and by the time we got to the ending uh, I had I had the same attitude of Rick uh, John Hurt such an amazing actor and I knew he was he was coming up but I didn't think we would see it in that context, you know, of this episode. And Matt Smith played it beautifully. There was this sad darkness to his voice. 
as he as he talked about, yes, you did it, but not in the name of the doctor. And it was, it gave me chills. And it was that great feeling again. And this was brilliant, Doctor Who. And I was talking earlier. I I started going back as we watch an episode again and going, well, does this ruin things because you have Clara going back to all the doctors and it's going to muck everything up and all of this? And I go, no, it just washed over me everywhere that the great intelligence was, Clara was, uh, assimilated herself, so to speak. And even if the doctor has no recognition and perhaps no, no idea she is there except to manifest herself when the 11th doctor knows her, you know, what, what we have seen. And uh, during that interlude with the first doctor, but it's, it's as the great. And even like this talking scene was creepy. Yeah. Well, I, I, I came I came uh, to grips with that. It, it bothered me at first, and then, then it said, well, he doesn't know exactly what's happening. And there was such a beauty to the whole uh, use of the leaf and to her backstory. Again, that's something we didn't get with Amy. We get a feeling of Clara, of a life fully lived, of a mother who she loved, how her mother and father met, of these children, obnoxious as they may be, that she cares about in this family that she cares for as as a governess, uh, or a nanny or whatever her function is to to uh, to say, and. This is a truly good person. It's a truly good person. And there is this great meaning to the way she plays her. And it's it's a really good time for the show. It, it It's a comfortable time, it, it feels like. It, it feels like the old days, again, and to me the old days, I think, they're with RTD and even going back. Be, because we're having, you know, new the old foes, you know, coming back. I don't know what surprises we have store for the 50th, but I, I was I was rather annoyed, and we still don't know who exactly and what's going to be in the 50th, and I'm not going to say much of anything for mm-hmm. God's sake. Um, but this felt almost like an anniversary episode. And I, yeah, and I, I it started already, don't you? The anniversary's already yeah, started. Yeah, it already started. And I and I pose a question. If we had all the doctors, it's a summation, one way if we have all the doctors in in a special, is that going to feel as good in its own way? Or is it going to be just kind of nostalgic? In this, we got to have most of the doctors. We we got and it, I thought it was ingenious the way they did it, and, and I think it worked. It worked nicely. It worked nicely. We we got to see all the doctors. We had her actually interact with the doctors, and the thing of her being splintered, really throughout the entire time stream, 
you know, you can almost say it, it, it's like she is everywhere the doctor was. And to stop the greatest enemy he ever had, the one that was going to undo him being the doctor, which is the worst thing that can happen to the universe. The stars will go out. Life will cease. You know, this, you know it's, as they said in the, the end of time, the sainted physician, the man who chose his own name. And we're going to find out about the one of them that does not bear that name. I don't know exactly what that's going to be. We can postulate till the cows come home. There they are. They're coming home. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, it, it's going to be fascinating. One thing I do hope, I hope that it is longer than an hour. And I have a feeling it's going to be because it's going to be shown in theaters, at least in the UK, in 3D. And that would tell me that they're not just going to do a 60-minute special <laughs> if they're going to go to such an effort to have it playing in theaters. I don't think... Yeah. I don't think... Well, any, I'd like to think it was 90 minutes or something like at that. Least, at least. I don't think in any information, you know, they've done that. Um, but, um, you know, that 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 is a bit of a disappointment. Here we do have the 50th anniversary year, and there's no blame here. But we should be getting more Doctor Who, not less. We've had a series broken up between two years, and it's a pity, you know. But it's certainly better to have some Doctor Who than none. And we are we are getting uh, the nonfiction Mark Gaddis history of Who film, which looks. I saw a picture of, and I forget the actor's name, who's playing William Hartnell. And it's him holding the candle, uh, opening the TARDIS door, and it's chilling how great he looks. It, 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 it's really remarkable. Um, it's the, the, the fellow from... Um, David from Harry Potter. And, uh, yeah. And also from... Uh, Dinosaurs on a spaceship. But and also was, from uh, Wedding of... No, Death of the Doctor. He's the voice of one of the... Yeah. Uh, the main... He looks great. They've done the wig. He looks... He looks... Yeah. It looks David effective. Bradley, you're right. Yeah. Bradley, yeah. Yeah, he looks tremendous. He looks tremendous. Um, and I... You know, I've, I've seen pictures. They have... Uh, you know, the TARDIS set recreated. There's a chance to use it in the series now, folks. They'd be fools not to. You know, that they have that freestanding. You know, because they're going to that, that effort. But uh, Without cutting you off too quickly now, well, not quickly, but do, 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 have you actually given a rating for the... I'm going to. I'm ending up here. All right. Um, rating for the entire season would be four and a half. Um, it's very good. Um, only one clunker. Uh, some that I felt could have been better. But overall, really good season. Um, I'd like us to go back to two-parters. I... I love that there's there should always be some arcing theme, but I, I enjoyed uh, the standalone feeling to episodes. 
because I want new people to get into the show. It's, you know, it's really tough to show them uh, season five and six, uh, like mid-episode. There's only a few you could say, oh, here, watch. Otherwise, it's like, you know. And they start with such promise. I think Impossible Astronaut two-parter was wonderful. Was was wonderful. Um, and then it kind of just goes uh, goes haywire in different places. But um, but smashes the brilliance. Some something I do miss, and this is just an, uh, a thought too. And I know budgetary or, or what have you, but we we had Doctor Who Confidential, which is gone, and that was a real good feeling and a link to the show, even if it was a half hour instead of the uh, longer episodes. We don't have that anymore. Uh, that's really sad. And we also had weekly commentaries on iTunes um, during the RTD days. It was the children's one as well, wasn't there? I remember seeing David Tennant on the... Yeah. I can't remember what it was called now. Um, But, yeah. uh, Ah, right. But but don't don't forget, Totally Doctor Who was sacrificed for a greater good, and that was the Sarah Jane Adventures. They they couldn't do two things at once on CBC, and so CBBC said, we'll take Sarah Jane Adventures, and thank God they did, or that that did Totally Doctor Who. Right, right. But it, 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 it was like, when the sorry, it was when um, the, they started padding the confidential, wasn't it? When they started having, uh, you know, them going around racetracks and things like that. That too much. Totally irrelevant stuff. But but at least if, if they had, you know, even a twenty-minute confidential. Yeah, but, but we, we had commentaries. But in those years, I mean, we, we had Torchwood and Sarah Jane. Now we're not even getting full seasons of Doctor Who in the anniversary year. No confidential, and we barely get commentaries on the uh, season disc sets. So that that's um, you know big cutbacks, and that could be budget mm-hmm. or what have you. But I, I do I do miss that. And with with Sarah Jane Adventures gone, be nice to have a Madame Vastra series or. Just something else. I, I don't think we're going to get Torchwood back after the uh, after the Stars program. I don't think that's. And I suppose it's, it's actually special then that um, ABC America have done these um, the, the, these other pieces recently. Yeah, the and Doctor's revisited, and the Companions, and and some of these other specials they've been having. BBC America does them. Um, they're not getting them in the UK. Okay. All right. But that's it. Thanks. Okay. No, we always enjoy listening to Ken. It's nice for you to have a full head of steam and uh, let you rip on that. Um, uh, I'll, I'll make a comment about something else that was going on during that, uh, sh- well, the short part of that. Um, but uh, obviously, we're not, I'm not going to play all the clips now. I'm going to play one more clip, for, well, uh, one clip from Hyde, then we'll go to Darf if we may. I may get another clip in. If it looks as though we're getting to the end, I'll just go straight to a final clip for the final episode. So um, let me just play a a short clip um, from Hyde. Can't you just, you know... What? Fly the TARDIS into a parallel universe. Ah, it's not a parallel universe. It's a pocket universe. Plus, it is collapsing. I mean, the TARDIS could get in there, all right. But entropy would bleed her power sources, you see. Trap her there until the entire universe decayed 
back into the quantum foam, which would take about three minutes, give or take, you know. What is that? Subset of the Eye of Harmony. I don't. Of course you don't. But if you did, I'd better do it myself. Right, you. Sit down. All the way. From Metabolist 3. What does it do? It amplifies your natural abilities like a microphone or a pooper scooper. What exactly is this arrangement? A psychochronograph. Forgive me, but isn't it all a little bit, well, make doing men? Non-psychic technology won't work where I'm going. Listen, all I need to do is dive into another dimension, find the time traveller, help her escape the monster, get home before the entire dimension collapses, and Bob's your uncle. Doctor, will it hurt? No. Well, yes, probably. A bit. Well, quite a lot. I don't know. It might be agony. To be perfectly honest, I'll be interested to find out. And the doctor lies. Uh, okay, again, uh, Darth, sorry for you going uh, so late in the show, but um, feel free to uh, cover as much as you wish. Uh, well, that's good, because I don't personally think of this as 7B. I have a hard time uh, divorcing this from 7A. So I'm just going to talk about the whole season because I think it is one integrated whole. Um, indeed, I think it's much more integrated than the sort of marketing uh, makes it look like. And I think the marketing has done a disservice to the narrative by artificially suggesting some sort of line at the departure of Amy and Rory because I don't think that's how the, the narrative actually works. I think if we if we go through the entire season, we'll find that there are a number of themes and a number of, uh, well, not just narrative themes, but um, even behind-the-scenes commonalities that we can talk about as a whole thing. And we know that they didn't really, pre- I mean, there might have been a slight gap between the end of... Um, production with Amy and Rory and the beginning of production with Clara, but it wasn't much. And certainly I don't think that they would think of it as too much more than, you know, one whole recording session. Uh, The big thing that I think the series is about is defining the nature of the doctor and the role of the companion. And I think if you look at that theme, you'd have to say, oh yeah, this is all one thing because I think the series is all designed to prep us for the 50th anniversary, where it seems, at least by the ending of Name of the Doctor, that we're going to get some sort of fundamental redefinition of the Doctor. We might not find out, as the name of this last episode of Doctor Who suggested, the actual name of the Doctor, but we will find out what the name means. Um, and that's probably more important than finding out what the actual real name of this character is. I think, too, you know, dinosaurs in a spaceship and a town called Mercy are made much richer by the name of the Doctor. And I really think that a town called Mercy will be much better viewed by fans in five or ten years' time, depending upon the success of the 50th anniversary in explaining to us who the John Hurt character is. Because if you go back and you look at A Town Called Mercy, it, you know, it's two doctors, 
both of them fighting over what the definition of being a doctor is, um, both of them with blood on their hands, both of them, you know, in a morally ambiguous place, and one of them trying to have some sort of moral superiority over the other. And that really is, you know, everything that was in the last scene of Name of the Doctor. And I think as long as we get something good out of the John Hurt Doctor, then Town Call Mercy is just going to look better and better than what it does now. And I think, you know, as I recall my feelings of Town Call Mercy back, you know, when it first came on, they're much lower than what they are today, uh, post this uh, latest episode of Doctor Who. I think if if there's that thing going on with, you know, defining the Doctor, I think there's also the thing definitely about defining, you know, what is the role of the companion? How much are you prepared to sacrifice for the Doctor? You know, with Amy, the question is, are you going to give up your whole childhood? which she did. Are you going to give up your child, which she did? Are you going to give up your ability to have more children, which she did, apparently, insensibly, but apparently? And and then, you know, I, I think, too, the question is, is the role of the companion just to be saved by the doctor, or is it to be the one doing the saving? like Amy does quite strongly in A Town Called Mercy, and Clara does certainly in Name of the Doctor. So you've got all this sort of stuff going on with companions, and you know, when is the time to leave the Doctor? When is the time to stand and fight for the Doctor? Do we run away? Do we not run away? Is there never a case in which you run away? You know, all these sort of things that are floating through this season, which, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that they've never been present in Doctor Who before, but I think it's been in a very concentrated form this season, so that you're looking at these two companions in the season. You're looking at Amy, and you're looking at Clara, and you're thinking, you know, with all due respect to Rory, who's kind of insignificant, you're thinking, um, which one of them is making the right choices? You know, would Amy actually have sacrificed herself for the Doctor? I don't think she would have. And in fact, we see her making the choice, no, I'm going to stick with my husband. Whereas you see Clara saying, actually, yeah, I will. (laughs) I'm done. I I will give my life for the cause of the doctor. And she goes. And it's really interesting to see the comparison. I think that that, that's part of the reason, at least narratively, that's the strongest reason why I think it's not 7A and 7B, it's just season 7. Does may may interject something? Sure, go ahead. It's Nice line that in the name of the doctor, um, Levin Doctor says to Clara, just this time, let me save you. Right. It's reversing it back. It's like, you're right. saving me. You're, you're the one sacrificing. You've been the important one. Please drop your guard. Let me save you. Yeah. you know, like you're saying. So. Yeah. It, it, it is pretty amazing that I think a lot of the things – you know, I remember Asylum of the Daleks, you know, I ripped that one a new hole because of the whole, uh, you know, instant marriage problems and instant resolution of the marriage problems and the convenience of the, you know, inability to have a child. But now I think when you look at the, I'm not going to say I like Asylum of the Daleks, I will never go that far. But I think if you look at it within the, the, the context of the entire season and about, you know, what are the themes of the whole season, I think it... it, it it's, it adds an interesting layer to a discussion of what Doctor Who is. And I think 
in bigger, broader, meta terms, uh, I will give Stephen Moffat a whole lot of credit for doing that with this particular season of Doctor Who because it is the anniversary season. And I think you really do need to say in the anniversary season, what is the nature of the Doctor? What is the nature of the Companion? And how are those two interrelated? And I think he's done a much better job than I originally thought after uh, having looked at everything again after the end um, of giving us better definition, more interesting definition than probably we've ever had in Doctor Who. It's except for maybe, you know, series one is quite good at, at, you know, defining what is roles, what is Rose's role with respect to the ninth doctor and his versus hers. And, you know, it's good there, but uh, this is like really fundamentally good stuff. You can find a lot in this whole series about that. I think too, and other people have already talked about this, What's good about this compared to earlier seasons of Stephen Moffat is that it it is a restoration of the science in science fantasy. And I've talked about this before in individual episodes, but while there are scientific mistakes in the this series, like the big one, I guess, is is the, the rocket going up in Crimson Horror and nobody getting at all singed by that. I think in general, this series has tried to say at least a little bit, science matters, science is important, science will save your life. And, you know, we've, we've heard the great thing from Rings of uh, Akatan. But I think there are other ones earlier. I mean, the Rings of Akatan speech is kind of an echo of the Power of Three speech, uh, where the Doctor and Amy are up on the, um, you know... The, I don't know what would be the the bridge. I guess I guess it's right. They're right on the Thames outside of Tower of London, and you know she's accusing him of traveling because he's running away. And he, you know, very neatly says, "No, it's not because I'm running away. It's because, you know, if you look at the science of this, if I if all I did was stay in London, that would be you know one corner of one continent of one planet and the corner of one galaxy, and you know that's just not how it works." There's so much more that's out there I have to explore. So again, using sort of science, using an understanding, a realistic understanding of the world and your place in it is what is the catalyst for the show. Uh, and I think that's really good. And I think that there have been other little moments, um, you know, that have helped to bring an explanation for things back in uh, most famously, and we've already sort of talked about this, but th my favorite moment, as you, we all know, of the entire s second half of the series is, of course, um, the Encyclopedia Gallifreya, which proves that science is liquid to the Time Lords, yeah. and, there, and therefore, you know, the rejuvenation of the Master in the end of time is a scientific thing. And I always thought it was anyway, because it's never been... Uh, I don't, never mind. And there are other things within the end of time that prove that it's scientific maybe just barely, but nevertheless do prove that there is a science behind it. Um, but this, you know, absolutely confirming there is liquid technology in Gallifrey. So therefore, fine, it's all good. It's not science. It's not potion. It's just, it is, you know, the closest thing they have to science that we're going to explain to you in the matter of two seconds. Um, I think too, there've been a lot of little things that have happened. And I don't know if all of it is um, 
Stephen Moffat, or if it's because he's got new writers, and so therefore new writers are actually interjecting things, um, or because they happen to have chosen particular enemies that allow for the science of Doctor Who to work a little better. Um, but, you know, you've got the um, the fact that Neil Cross takes just a little bit of extra time, just a little bit, to explain that Mary's people use sound as technology. That, you know, obviously singing certain chords are going to open doors. And so that, therefore, giving a reason why the sonic screwdriver works in that particular context. Um, also, you know, in Cold War, obviously, you have the return of the Ice Warriors. Ice Warriors established way, way back when to have technology that is sonically based, so therefore the sonic screwdriver is an effective weapon against them. Um, but more than that, you know, here we are underwater, so of course the sonic screwdriver works as an echolocator, which makes perfect sense. Um, you know, giving giving the sonic screwdriver a reason to work may be an accident of this season. Might be, could be, who knows? It, it, but it seems to me they've taken just a little bit more time to set things up so that a certain level of science can work. And it's, it, you know, it contrasts with earlier in the Moffat era where you've got the sonic screwdriver in like Hungry Earth and Cold Blood, where ridiculously the sonic screwdriver is just a weapon period it just is a weapon and i mean you can sort of i I don't know you can you can sort of hand wave that away if you want to but this is better because these scripts it seems to me in series seven allow you to hand wave whereas scripts earlier in the moffat era force you to hand wave if you can get the distinction there. Also, I think, and this is maybe, I don't know, going against what I'm saying of the two series being integrated, but yet, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it gives a point of comparison. I think it is a season of absolutely two halves in terms of acting. It is it is really painful for me to go back and watch episodes two through five because there's no JLC. And, the thing about JLC that is amazing is that she is a proper old school star in the sense that you can put a camera on her face and things will just happen. It's nothing to do with her being prettier than Karen Gillan or anything as superficial as that. It is just that... And I don't even think it's necessarily JLC being doing conscious acting. I think it's just something about her face that simply loves the camera, or that the camera adores her face. Mm-hmm. So that when you have her in a close-up, something interesting will happen. Meaning will be conveyed without dialogue. And that is something that Karen Gillan just can't do. Her face is wooden. It just is terribly. It is so wooden. Yeah. Um, And, you know, a lot of people say, well, the problem with Clara is that she's got no character. She sort of is bland. She's a generic companion, and we don't have that much to work with. But the thing is, that might be true in a way, because I think we have been set up to have a mystery about her. And so, therefore, if you've got a mystery, you're not going to give too many 
answers to the mystery or else you don't have a mystery anymore. So, I mean, I kind of get that. But if you – it makes her acting or her presence even more extraordinary because there might not be as much character and definition in the lines that she's given. And so, therefore, the fact that she's able to pull such tremendous emotion out of practically nothing is a tribute to her, really. And, you know, it is the basic act that we saw Elizabeth Sladen do. You know, I mean, there was a character to Elizabeth Sladen, but there were an awful lot of moments where it was just nothing to work with. And even Elizabeth Sladen said, you know, there were, I really wanted to leave earlier because a lot of the lines were totally boring, but yet she was able to make something of them. And I think that's the, the revelation of JLC is that she can, she can make something out of nothing and you still are going to watch it. Um, and, and the fact that Series 7 allows that direct kind of comparison is really interesting. Now, the, the problem with doing that in Series 7, and it's a little bit unfair, is we know that Karen Gillan is actually in prosthetics most of Series 7 because they were subtly aging her up. Maybe not entirely prosthetics, but there was certainly she was under makeup. And so, you know, you're, you're sort of comparing natural face to made-up face, and that may not be... Fair, especially when you're talking about close-ups. But still, it is inevitable, I think, that if you look at the season and you compare one episode from early in the season to another episode later in the season, you have to say the companion in the later half is just more interesting to watch than the companion in the first half. So no matter how much you love Karen Gillan, no matter how much you love uh, you know, that character, I think you do have to fairly say JLC, hands down, just wins. She just does. Um, obviously, you know, a thing that has interested me, too, this season is, I, I think it's, I'm going to call it the season of sound. Uh, I, the, the thing, the, the improvement in the sound mixing and I've talked about this before in a lot of different episodes, especially on the back half of season seven. The, the improvement is is extreme. Now, I mean, I've had a 7.1 surround system for ages now, and I've heard every single episode of Doctor Who, modern Doctor Who, BBC Wales Doctor Who, through the same system with the same speakers. But this season, it especially season 7B, I think there is a difference maybe uh, in the two. Uh, this season does kick the ass of every other season in terms of the so the sound design. And I'm not saying this because I want to make people feel guilty because I've got a 7.1 surround system and you don't. And I mean, with the the thing is, it's not even mixed in 7.1. It's only mixed to 5.1, I think. Um, yeah. I, I, but I really am saying it because I want to praise the work of Paul Jeffries and Tim Ricketts, who, you know, they've been there kind of, well, Tim Ricketts has certainly been there on almost every single episode of Doctor Who since Rose. And Paul Jeffries, um, who's the sort of, Tim Ricketts is sort of the guy in charge, more or less. He's the, the actual sound mixer. And then Paul Jeffries does the, um, like, he's he's the Brian Hodgson sort of, uh, uh, he's the uh, special sounds, more or less. Uh, sound effects editor, I guess. Uh, and he's been there Almost that length of time, not quite, but almost that length of time. But they have kicked it into another, into the stratosphere in terms of 
precisely locating sounds, creating a soundscape, making you immersed in what you're seeing. Um, and, and I think credit here has to be given to the fact that all of a sudden, starting last season, so season six, suddenly we were crediting sound editor, whose his name is Jamie Talbot. And I, I uh, sound editor, a Foley editor. Now, of course, there was Foley work before on Doctor Who. There has been for a while. But um, there's never been a Foley editor, per se. So it makes me think that they have beefed up their Foley team to the point that they need to have somebody specifically in there just to work on Foley stuff. And I think that's why we're maybe starting to see more precision in the location of stuff. And so, therefore, you know, you're starting to see... I. I think the reason that you're starting to see enemies like the Vigil, like the Whispermen, and even kind of the silence is because um, Moffat has gotten confident in his team's ability to create a soundscape that adds another dimension to these characters and makes them even scarier. Because, um, you know, th there really have been times in this season where I have literally jumped because of the sound that was going on. So that to me is the thing I will always think about this season in terms of the, the behind the scenes stuff. It's just the massive improvement of the, the sound quality. The other part of that is the soundtrack. And I've got to strongly disagree with um, Kobo, who Kobo, thinks that the Murray Gold, who thinks that this was Murray Gold's finest hour or something like that. This is the worst Murray Gold work ever. That's not to say you won't find occasional moments of brilliance, but I think that there has been a great deal of confusion in the light motifs. I think that there have been some horrible light motifs. Um, you know, it's not just that the that Clara's theme is bad. I think it's bad. I think it's horrible. I think it's it, every time it plays, I'm like, "Come on, let's get to the next piece of music," because it is really it just grates me totally. Um, but it's also, and, and you know, I pointed this out before, you know, the, some light motifs that have been established are being played in weird places. Like, you know, uh, the, this is earth thing, the earth orbit theme that used to be, um, in a slightly different remix. It used to be the thing that started out various episodes that like bros, like, um, oh, I don't know, uh, the new, runaway bride. New Earth. New Earth. Um, and, you know, it got a slight remix to be in the Doctor Widow wardrobe. And basically it's, you know, every time you see the Earth from orbit, they play this particular piece of music. And I think it's been mixed in in different places that don't make any sense. But I think also, you know, that was going on in, in 7A as well. Um, Murigold certainly missed the opportunity to give Kate Stewart a theme and instead used Amelia Pond's theme to sort of generally underscore the last few scenes of the power of three, instead of separating out, you know, a different theme for each person that was there. I'm not entirely sure we ever got a Brian Williams theme, which seems weird to me, uh, but I don't think that happened. It might've happened. It's a little hard to tell without having a release yet of the soundtrack for series seven, but pretty sure that didn't happen. Um, so I think there's been a little bit of confusion with, um, some light motifs. Now, there's been some other stuff that's been really great with light motifs, especially in Name of the Doctor. 
Um, the, the great thing about Name of the Doctor is that it's got this um, this use. He's he's had seven years with us now, so he's had enough time to create his own back catalog of Doctor Who stuff. So now he can do light motif refrains of his own work. So in Name of the Doctor, you know, he's able to evoke the past. Uh, by in some of that stuff with Clara and old doctors, he just drops in the doctor forever, which we could call the second David Tennant doctor theme. Um, and it was really like, oh, I get what you're doing. You're saying now he's going back in time, so we're using the old theme for the doctor instead of I am the doctor, which is the 11th doctor's doctor theme. And so that makes it, you know you're helping us to understand we're talking about the past now. So that was really good. And, you know, obviously the cold open to name of the doctor works so incredibly well because you got that, you know, the camera pulling out of the Capitol. And as soon as the camera exits the Capitol, you get, this is Gallifrey. Um, And that I, I can't stop watching just that little part because it's so great. I think, you know, if this were 20 years ago, you'd be saying, Oh, you know, one of the the best shots in Doctor Who history is, you know, at the start of season twenty three, and it's you know the the Doctor's TARDIS getting pulled down into the Time Lord uh, space station for the beginning of the trial of the Time Lord. But to me, this the the special effects shot at the very beginning of Name of the Doctor evokes that same thing, right? I don't think anybody's ever seen the sort of symmetry between that and. Um, Trial of a Time Lord, but because of the Murray Gold music that's underneath it, it just you know ramps it up into outer space. It's so it's so great just to watch that first ten minutes. It really has nothing to do with. I don't care that they're going on to see the Hartnell Doctor and all that stuff. I just that one little bit is like, wow, okay, we are on Gallifrey again, which is a pretty unusual thing in the the BBC Wales era. So really good use of leitmotif there. Um, but, you know, some disappointing stuff otherwise. And I think in just regular incidental music, you know, stuff that simply underscores scenes and doesn't have any real um, narrative meaning of itself, I think he's just gone flat in a lot of ways. Um, you know, when I think of Murray Gold, what I think of incidental music that he does is that he does unexpected things. So, you know, when the rose is separated from the doctor in Doomsday, you don't get brass instruments. You don't get violins. You don't get this swelling music. You get what? Bass guitar. And it it seems to me he's not doing that anymore. And I don't know if it's because he's got less recording time or he's being paid less money or I don't know what the deal is, but it seems like this year his a lot of his music is just total cheese ball. Rather you mean than, it's more formal, formulaic? In other words, he's... Just regurgitating stuff. I don't think he's even regurgitating. Well, I mean, I think that his score for Town Called Mercy and that little bit yeah. in Nightmare in yeah, Silver where the, where, the, where the kids are enjoying the anti-gravity, you know, moon landing thing, whatever that is. Yeah. It feels more like Music Library than Murray Gold. Right. You know, it just is not his, his unusual stuff. But then there are other moments, like Ken has pointed out in Crimson Horror, uh, when when you, they're doing the flashback 
you know, that great weird flashback yeah. thing uh, where, you know, you got like, it's like you're watching a silent film in 1920 and you're hearing the organ of the silent film guy. Like maybe that's a little predictable, but the precise melody is actually really interesting and cool. Um, and it doesn't actually use an organ. You know, if it, it just feels like it would. And in fact, it's, it's usually some unusual instruments. I, I can't quite pick them out. Um, and it may even be electronic for all. Like, maybe that's why it sounds a little bit weird. Or, you know, that moment in Cold Blood that I talked about before where, you know, he, he at, the, at the very end uh, where the I Am The Doctor theme gets sort of a little bit of a twist with um, using the basic sound of an Ice Warrior's gun from the 1960s where he actually puts a little bit of Brian Hodgson in his work. It's very, very clever and very cool. Um, but... You know, it's such a weird season for me with the music. It's it, it really has at points taken me out and made me think we really need to move on. And then as soon as I think that, you know, you'll get some really good stuff like in Name of the Doctor where I don't have a complaint at all about any point of the music in Name of the Doctor except, of course, for just the nature of Clara's theme, which I hate. But, I mean, it, it in terms of using it as a leitmotif and using it properly, I think it's done very well there as opposed to power of three where you know you've got an established theme for amelia you know that they play i guess it is i'm not sure if it's just amelia's theme or if it's amy's theme but whatever you've got an established theme played for amelia that suddenly is appearing when the doctor is talking to kate stewart it doesn't it makes no sense um and then later it, the next scene when I mean, I guess it makes a little more sense when he's talking to the entirety of the Williams family because she's part of that Williams family. But it would have been nice to have had a theme for Brian. Um, I don't know. So there's that. And yet at the same time that there's this sort of confusion in the soundtrack, it's also the season, I think, of musical education. And one of the things I love about this season is that um, it, I'm sure it is the season that has the highest amount of classical music playing narratively in scenes. Uh, whether you're talking about the the obvious importance of, uh, you know, uh, the Habanera from Carmen that's in episode one, or whether you're talking about uh, Schubert's Fantasia in D minor uh, that's in Dinosaurs in a Spaceship, or that lovely little blast of... Um, Vivaldi, that's Vivaldi. in, yeah, and that's the, in name of the Doctor. Scene. So you've got, you know, really famous musical quotations uh, in the first episode, in the last episode, in the middle episode. Um, and in a way, it kind of goes back to even uh, Dr. Widow Wardrobe, where you, you get this sense that this doctor, well, it goes all the way back to music from the Spears to... Uh, it's sort of a lovely little thing that is occasionally dropped into modern Doctor Who of the Doctor does play musical instruments, does get involved in music. Um, but I think this season, definitely, it has been much more to the front that, yes, the Doctor helped both Schubert, helped um, Bizet, um, and that uh, Madame Vastra is a lover of Vivaldi. I mean, I think it's just, it's just lovely to see that kind of thing coming into Doctor Who. Because, you know, again... Especially in the 50th anniversary, it's supposed to be educational somewhat, so it's nice to see music education going on as well. 
Um, I think it's also been the season of romance because, you know, initially you start out and you've got Amy and Rory's relationship being front and center. Are they going to break up? Are they not going to break up? Why is it that they're having a problem? Um, That problem is because she can't have a child. So like there's an actual good reason for it. I wish that had been explored for a longer period of time, but it still is a good romantic plot for them where honestly, I I really think they were totally confused in the first two seasons that they were there. And I think that Moffat missed a boat. He could have had a really wonderful special thing if he'd figured out the beats that he wanted to cover in that relationship and covered them consistently for two and a half years. But still, it was a nice little thing to start out with. Um, I think this is also the year where, you know, uncomplicated flirting has been allowed to come back into the TARDIS, which I, you know, I'm a big fan of the doctor flirting with human. I don't have any problem with that. I don't think it's inappropriate. I think, you know, the doctor doesn't have anybody of his own species to flirt with. So, you know, how else is he going to, in the ninth doctor's word, dance unless he dances with humans? It's just not going to happen. Um, so I don't think he well, should look a, well, at Well, he's a married man, of course. Well, and that's the other thing. That's the one of the beautiful things about this season is that we finally got the answer to a two-year-old question, which is, you know, are the the Doctor and River actually married? And I think that both Angels in Manhattan and Name of the Doctor tell us that the answer is yes, they are. Whether whether it's legal or not, who knows? But are they actually married? Are they, are they married in the sense that they both genuinely, totally? believe that i think the answer is absolutely yes and i think that's great i mean i think it's it's wonderful that not only is this doctor has he been increasingly shown to absolutely understand the nature of romantic relationships and be you know an active matchmaker in a number of different situations including you know hide uh but certainly going back to the lodger certainly with amy and rory himself they're themselves he is an active matchmaker, but at the same time, he is a lover. And I, that I am, am fully embracing. And I think that fans who have a problem with the doctor having a sex life are just wrong. <laughs> Flat out Can wrong. Can I just say it's there story. as well, Darth, yeah. it, the, the, from the first doctor, he was a matchmaker. He left Susan with the man she felt her destiny was with. Yep. You know, when, she, when he says, you know, I go on my way, I mean... He actually he makes the decision for her that David wasn't he called uh, the yeah the, David Kemmel yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you're you're absolutely right and and you know there's the romance that he has himself in the Aztecs and we know that that mm-hmm. actually had a real meaning for him you know because he does take the time to you know go back and get the souvenir from Kameka and carry it with him on the TARDIS after that which you know if he were if he didn't think that humans were worthwhile, if he didn't think that they, you know, were possible objects of romantic affection, if he didn't think that it was a good thing to be around humans, we wouldn't have a show. Period. Um, so, yeah, I think he does need to fall in love. And I think that the way that this was done and the way that the whole river thing was brought around and I think ended, just flat out, here's your exclamation point, ended, was magnificent. And maybe my favorite part of the whole finale because uh, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting any resolution because let's face it, the other quality about season seven is it's the, the 
season in which Stephen Moffat basically turns his back on seasons five and six, where he says, I'm not going to explain any more than I've already explained. You're not going to get an answer to why did the TARDIS explode. You're not going to get an answer to who are the silence. You're not going to really get an answer to the Kavarian thing. We're done. This is a brand new season. There are going to be a few elements that are brought back in because River, you know, predates Series 5. So I am, that is my great creation. I really do think it is a great creation. So I am going to finish that. Um, but other than that, you're not, except for maybe, you know, yes, I'm going to bring in Strax and Vastra, and they were a part of Season 6. Um, but other than that, and, and the sort of notion, the notion at the very, very, very end of Season 6 of, um, you know, what is the name of the Doctor? How do I go back into hiding? How do I erase my name from existence? You know, that last little capstone of season six has been brought forward in season seven, but largely season five and season six are now forgotten. And and season seven was all about striking out with relatively new territory. Um, That said, the other quality about season six that I think you have to say is it is the season of relentless callback and I'm damn tired of it. Uh, It, it's the, you know, the, the Tegan thing in Crimson Horror, which is great, but uh, I, I'm kind of done with reference, you know, I'm the, all the different kinds of Daleks that are in the style of Daleks, the fact that you're using the great intelligence, the fact that you're making a relatively obscure joke about the London Underground in uh, Snowmen. Most people, yeah, yeah, and it doesn't quite work, and you have to think about it for a while, and it's not, what? Okay, whatever. Um, it's you know the fact that he feels like he's got to call back Scarrow and actually go to Scarrow um, instead of just letting Scarrow be as Russell T Davies had it destroyed. I mean, flat out, we have absolute. If you go to Daleks in Manhattan, which I know a lot of people don't like to go back to, but if you go to Daleks in Manhattan, the Dalek they. I guess it is, or maybe it might be Dalek Sec, says, absolutely, my planet is destroyed. There's no ambiguity about that. It is destroyed. And what does Moffat do? Oh, here you go. Here's Scarrow, and here's a big statue of a Dalek right in the middle of that planet. <sighs> yeah. So there's this callback there, callback everywhere. Um, you can't, you know, name of the doctor, my God. I mean... I know that's one of the things that people love about Name of the Doctor, but honestly, it's exhausting. You know, by the time that you get to, oh, and the time winds will rip you apart, I was like, really? We're going to, I mean, I like the language, don't get me wrong. I like the fact that the the language is there, but I don't like it when Doctor Who does this. I'm so exhausted of the anniversary season already, and we haven't even gotten to the special. Um, uh, of all these little drop-ins, you know, the fact that she's Kate Stewart, does she have to be Kate Stewart? Couldn't she just be somebody new that you wholly invented um, that, you know, you're going to try to create something new to head unit? doesn't even have to be unit. Can it be something else? You know, all these little things that are throughout this year that I understand why they're there and in the moment of watching them, they're fine. But I swear when you go from series... Episode 1 all the way to episode 13, 14, 
in a row in a compressed amount of time, you're like, wow, the number of references that have been made there is more than certainly in any other individual season of modern Doctor Who. But I think it's more than all the other seasons combined. The 50th, of course. I mean, I understand it is the 50th, but, oh, I want this to be over already. I mean, I, I am I am yearning for brand new territory. Um, I'm yearning for this guy to regenerate. I'm yearning for. Uh, I, I don't want to lose Clara just yet, I guess. But no. if she were to if she were to go, I wouldn't be upset. I mean, I I really wouldn't. I think it's time to sort of say, let us start anew. Um, and you know, we don't know yet what the actual practical effect of name of the doctor is on the character of Clara. We don't know if in fact that will essentially give a new birth to this character. Will she, what will she remember? What will she not remember? Will she now just be an ordinary girl kind of like Donna who has forgotten everything that has happened? We really don't know where we are with this character. So that character could in fact be reborn and we still get to keep JLC, but not have Clara, which would be, you know, an interesting trick, I think. Um, but it, the, the the sheer number of callbacks in this season, though somewhat appropriate, it it makes me nervous. I don't want this to be the way Doctor Who is from here on out. I I really want us to scale on back to season one levels, where you know in season one, what's your only thing? You know, a cyberhead. I mean, that's it really in season one. And yes, you have the Daleks, but they're introduced as new creatures, right? So you you find out about the Daleks anew in in season one and i kind of want to go back to that where everything is all new again um and i think that sort of criticism because i know a lot of people will not like that criticism i know a lot of people loved all the references and you know again in in the moment at the time so did i um but i but i think that that criticism points out why i think this season is much more uneven than even. I think that this has been, as has been brought up before, a season of really Marmite episodes. Um, I think, you know, certainly all seasons of Doctor Who produce episodes that some people like and some people don't like. But it really seems to me like this season seems to have an unusual proportion of fans. Not really the general public, because I think the AI has been consistent but a, a little bit lower in season 7b but consistent nonetheless but i think that fans have been really split over at least two of the episodes i mean i think we'd have to say that you know nightmare and silver has really split fans and i think you'd have to also say rings of rings uh, of has yeah. split fans too um but even you know asylum of the daleks has split people too um, and I think a, a part of it, it's weird to have this much in one season, you know, except, I mean, I guess we could go back to season two and we could say, yes, season two had both love and monsters and fear her. But overall though, I think most people kind of dug season two, um, this though, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it does feel like there's at least three episodes I could point to, maybe four, because you know I seem to recall Power Three being something that people 
kind of liked, and then a lot of people said that ending was really crap. Um, so it just, I don't know. This, the season is not that even, but I will say of the season Moffat, the, the Stephen Moffat episodes or seasons, uh, it, it's at least my second favorite. It might be my favorite kind of just because, well, I don't know. It's the, the, Mm, ah, it, it, it's tough. It's tough because I, I really don't like Nightmare and Silver. I really don't think that the um, name of the Doctor in any way improved Nightmare and Silver like I thought it would by giving us a better definition over Clara in that episode. So I don't know. It's it, season six is probably as a whole season, but not necessarily as individual episodes. I think season six is probably still a little bit better than this one. Um, but this one, it's still good. And it's still the, the thing I have to say about season seven B as opposed to season seven A to split it back up again is that seven A, I really did feel at the time after I had watched it, I felt this was a waste of time. And I, I really felt like that I would rather have just gone into the new companion and not even bothered with Amy and Rory. Um, whereas 7B, you know, I've been, as you know, I've been kind of a cheerleader throughout with the exception of Nightmare and Silver, I suppose. Um, and I didn't really like Bells of St. John all that much. Um, but 7B has made me feel like I've kind of gotten Doctor Who back, like I've kind of gotten the, the bug for Doctor Who back. And that's good. Um, I, but I I don't know. I'm 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 so confused over how I feel about the thing as a whole. If trying to rate it against other seasons, it certainly is. I don't know. I really don't know where I am at the end of all that. I mean, I have some ideas about what the themes of the season are. I have some idea of things that I can pick out as as observable during the series, but. As for how I really feel about the thing as a whole, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I feel at this point like it's almost over and that Series 8 will probably be more, will probably be better for me than anything so far uh, or than anything since 2010. But I, it's, I, I'm, I think I'm a little bit close, too close to this season yet to to figure out whether I really liked it or whether what I'm really liking is the potential that exists in Clara as a companion to be able to tell stories that are interesting to me after all the anniversary hoopla has gone away. I know that's a weird thing to say, but that's about where I am. It's, I like Clara out of it. I like you know, some of the stuff that Neil Cross did. I like where we were, I even like, you know, some of the stuff that Stephen Moffat did. Um, but I, I still feel like the entire thing depends upon how good this stupid anniversary special is. Because, I mean, we do end on a cliffhanger, don't we? And if that cliffhanger oh. turns out to be not good, then, or if the resolution of the cliffhanger turns out to be not good, then... I suppose I'll be feeling like a lot of other people felt about Journey's End. You know, you had the best cliffhanger ever, and then 
some people would say, but not me, that resolution was so poor as to make the cliffhanger itself look terrible. Um, so I don't know. Uh, all I know is that Series 7 isn't over. Well, that's an interesting point that you bring up, uh, Darth, because I think it was maybe two weeks ago mm. I had stated that perhaps that the, the uh, 50th anniversary special in November will be considered part of Series 7. And, of course, at that time we didn't see the ending of the name of the Doctor to know that it was going to be continued. Mm. Yeah, you yeah. might have a point there. Yeah, and I'm kind of curious about, from a behind-the-scenes standpoint, too, how it is. Because I don't... I, I think it's nothing. I think it's like I think it's like the Five Doctors in that it's a separately commissioned work. Um, and and not only that, but I think, I, and I don't know yet, but I it, I think that the um, Christmas special for 2013 is also separately commissioned and isn't actually a part of season eight oh, or season oh, seven. Oh yeah, thirteen. Yeah. I I think it's uh, yeah. I think it's out on its own. The one thing I will say, and since this has already been revealed on this show and we already have already passed it, um, I will say that I think last week people were saying Matt Smith is confirmed for Series 8, and that is not the damn case. I have gone back and looked at the statement that has been revealed from a number of different sources, and in no sense does he say, I am coming back for Series 8. What he says is, we move into Series 8. He doesn't say that we necessarily includes him. He could just be speaking as the you know face of Doctor Who to the public and saying after that Doctor Who goes on. But I don't know. I'm still not sold on this notion of Matt Smith continuing for very long, and I I, I really hope he doesn't. I mean, I, I want something. The the biggest anniversary gift you could give me is a regeneration. And if it doesn't happen in the actual so-called anniversary special, whatever name it eventually gets, that's fine. But I still think it could happen within the anniversary year, and I think it could happen a month later. And well, I, don't I, think admit, I, prefer the, I prefer the uncertainty of that he may or may not, rather than to know contractually he is. Right, and there's nothing in any of the statements that were released that caused all this, you know, sigh of relief slash consternation, depending on your point of view. Um, in any way confirms anything, except that he's in the Christmas special. I would say it does confirm he's in the Christmas special. But it beyond that, I don't see anything there. Uh, so at least we have that. At least we have some level of uncertainty. But uh, I, it's such a weird series. Dave, I don't know. What do you think about this series? Well, uh, yeah, let me go next. And uh, I'm hoping that... Uh, Jeff has been kind enough to keep an eye on some of the things that have been said. We can't quote. Uh, by the way, I, I should just say that anybody who's listening to this recording later, you can use something called Text Chat Grabber to catch all all that's gone on. There's been an awful lot said during both Ken and Darth's uh, great input. Um, and uh, there's no, uh, it would be unfair to even Jeff to even try and do that. But I am going to ask Jeff if he will at least find out if anybody's put in an overall rating for uh, at least the second half of the series. Um, well, uh, I've agreed with most of the things that's happened. There, um, I actually thought that there was actually more uniformity 
in in reaction to this second half of the series. But I do know, I do believe definitely that there are certainly a couple of those episodes that Rings of Akatan and the Dalek one that that were ones that caused controversy. And I'd certainly say that this uh, this last eight episodes. Um, more than at any other time do I feel as though you almost can't make your judgment on first watching. Now, you could argue, well, and if if that's the case, then Doctor Who is 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 making our the the people who are producing Doctor Who for us are making a mistake because uh, and when all said and done, you know what is on the screen in the forty five minutes of the episode should be all that you need to be able to enjoy and make sense. Now we've already had, I think, Ken bemoaning the fact that we've lost the confidential. And I think certainly the short confidentials, many people would have liked that. But they almost became the sonic screwdriver of Doctor Who, I would think. And maybe Ken might want to come back in on me on this uh, in a moment. But um, you almost think, um, I don't know what to think about that episode. I'll go and watch the confidential. And then you watch the confidential, and you you're so appreciative of the craft and the effort and the design and the thought that got into it. You almost upped your rating because well, they've tried so hard. I think I ought to enjoy it more. Uh, whether you did or not, I don't know. Uh, so in many ways, these episodes have had to stand on their own. Talked to my brother-in-law as I was doing a Sunday. Um, uh, he had been this last name of the doctor. He had not really followed it too much. And and um, I, I then spent half an hour on the phone telling him all the things that he'd missed. And remember, I only get 15% of what other people get anyway. And he said, I don't know where you see all that stuff. What are those people saying? Well, I don't know. I, I don't. So he says, well, I'll watch it again when it comes in, because it's repeated on BBC Three, uh, although I think he does record it sometimes. And we talked again today, having seen it. He said, you know, I watched it. He said, um, but I'll have to make a confession. I watched it with the subtitles on. And he said, I got so much more out of it. I didn't know she meant that. I didn't hear all those voices. I didn't get this. You know, it was very clever, wasn't it? And um, you've got a feeling that there may be a lot of people that just watch some of these episodes, shake their head and think, um, you know, uh, uh, to use a pun, uh, it's like lost. They 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 can't do that. But having said that, I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and I would say, uh, and I take the um, the caveat that Darth mentioned. We don't know what the resolution of the cliffhanger is, but I thought that really was, and certainly could maintain, still be uh, the greatest way of uh, ending that. And I was I have been played. I made a mistake by playing two clips from each one. So for those listening to the recording, I'm going to jump right to the final clip and then I'll have a few more words and then I'll just ask if Ken wants to come in on on, on that little thought that I've mentioned about, you know, did, did he feel that uh, the confidential was actually becoming a little bit of a, uh, you know, uh, I'll consult the, uh, I'll consult that to find out what I need. This is just uh, about at one minute, 20 seconds and of course it's right at the end of the final episode. Let's go back. Uh, who is he? It's me. There's only me here. That's the point. Now, let's get back. I never saw that one. I saw all of you. 
Eleven faces, all of them are you. You're the eleventh doctor. I said he was me. I never said he was the doctor. Oh, I don't understand. My name, my real name. That is not the point. The name I chose is the doctor. The name you choose, it's like, it's like a promise you make. He's the one who broke the promise. Clara? 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 He is my secret. What I did, I did without choice. I know. In the name of peace and sanity. But not in the name of the doctor. up for Ian here because he didn't like the the words coming on there but I mean just before I go, go to Ken I mean she sees 11 she didn't see 14 15 number 57 she didn't see anybody else she only saw 11 uh the name of the doctor I don't know I, in fact I don't want to speculate but um really it promises to be a great cliffhanger but as has been said you don't know it's a great cliffhanger until you have the resolution Ken did you want to come back on, on yes. that little thought I had yes um well, it, it never changed my feelings about an episode, but it did make you feel closer to the production office and to the series because it was kind of like, hi, you're the Doctor Who fan. We're taking you behind the scenes. We're sharing our secrets with you. We're letting you see us in the commissary. We're, you're watching us kid around and have fun. Come join us. So there was a more personal feeling to those days there seems to be an unintentional wall up between production office and fan and I, I didn't feel that with the RTD days it was like come on in you know we want to take you behind the scenes it was even even RTD's uh, attitude on the commentaries oh dear viewer you know come come on listen you know welcome again you know, him and uh, Julie Gardner, there was kind of a welcoming feeling. And, you know, they they played musical chair uh, associate producers uh, lately with the show, well, beforehand, too, let's be honest. But, right. uh, you know, I, I do miss that. But Confidential got to be, to be honest, rather a bore during the end. It's like, let's, let's do a bus and truck tour of uh, middle school's to go and visit and, uh, you know, uh, give, a, give a charity talk about Doctor Who. They were running out of things to do. And then when we needed it, you know, it was gone. And I, you know, it it's something that I miss also that, uh, you know, something missing from the DVD sets. But they could have saved their budget. You know, they I think they were too long. It, it shouldn't have been as long as an right. episode. You know. Right. But, but something I'm going to say too about just about uh, when Darth was saying and just feeling about you know the season, I think this was to me the most satisfying season end of of the Moffat years. Now, it is a cliffhanger. Will I eat my words after the special? I well, I don't. Th- I'm just taking what is there. 
the revelations, her sacrifice, and the whole feeling, it, it felt, even though it, it's a cliffhanger, it, it was satisfying. It, it didn't leave it so much. It was like, okay, well, it solved one set of problems and questions and set thematic uh, interest in, in the character, you know, and, and showing exactly, you know, where she's coming from and the doctor's relationship to her. Now now we're opening up to even bigger mysteries, which hopefully they'll just, uh, you know, blow us away with and we'll just be overjoyed. But there's that there's that expectation of, of the gift under the tree, whether it's going to be wonderful or it's going to fall apart on Christmas Day. Yeah, so okay, we'll see you in November. Thank you for that. Thank yeah, uh, my, my rating would be four, certainly four for the thing, but I, I definitely uh, thought it ended in five. Now, Jiffy G7 has just put Kalimbani explained to me the phrase, the souffle is not the souffle, the souffle is the recipe. I thought that was brilliant. Basically, you know, um, it, it, it was the personality and the, the, uh, the, the DNA, as it were, of Clara that was Clara, not the individual ones. She, it was her DNA that was split a bit like the, is it Sagarafa? I can never pronounce his name, um, uh, from uh, the classic series. Uh, Fiddy of Death. Fiddy of Death. The Jagaroth. Jagaroth, was it? That's it, yeah. Apparently there was somebody cosplaying him at time yet as well. So brilliant. So um, I'm going to ask if anybody hasn't to put in the rating for the second half of Series 7, and I'm sure there's a few that Jeff has already got to read, but... Um, be fairly quick, if you would. Jeff, okay. would you do the honors? Sure. Jeff uh, G7, uh, he rates Nightmare and Silver is the worst episode. At a three, Cold War, in the name of the Doctor, he gives a five, and overall, a four out of five. He also says, I think Clara is a much better companion than Amy. I prefer her acting and the way she has written. A really refreshing change. Art Blanche says, a lack of emotional resonance, RT. TV could achieve this in a heartbeat, and a lack of plot coherence means two out of five. It does look brilliant, though. Longer episodes or two-parters are needed. Mad Howe gives it a four out of five. Cybob gives it a 3.5 out of five. Kobo gives it a five out of five, but as a whole for Series 7, including 7A, he gives a 3.5. One thing Kobo wanted to make clear was that uh, the music of the rings of Akaton really accentuated the story, and that's what he was trying to convey about Murray Gold's music. Not that the whole series was excellent with the music. GIF's G7 also agreed with that. And that's all the, the ratings that I saw in text. Anyone else want to put a rating into text? That's great. And while we do, is there anybody, I mean, there are only a few on audio, uh, I don't know whether Darth or yourself, Jeff, want to to, to have a, a final thought, because obviously you've heard so much since you spoke yourself. Uh, well, so let's go to Jeff first. Anything you want to add before we go to closing up? No, I I, uh, I thought I stated what I wanted to say, and you know, I, I, I will say this. Um, Ken, you are so wonderful to listen to. You have such a poetry of how you say things, and it's just a joy to listen to you. I really 
enjoy what you add to to the conversation. You're Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. But, but that's all I have. And so. Dal, do you want to add anything else to your? Because otherwise we'll wrap uh, up. But no, only, only that we need to wait until the anniversary to figure out how this uh, all yeah, pans yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. I would say, by the way, that um, uh, although we haven't got all the answers, at least Moffitt did close some of the loops this time round, where there are still some uh, open loops. There's some pretzels out there, and there's some unfinished pretzels out there. But, uh, you think he we'll, did? We'll I don't think. I don't know what he did, uh, except for except for. Well, well he explained stuff, right? how how Clara could be in different time zones and things like that. Oh well, yeah, but that's that's just a question that he asked at the beginning of the season. So I'm, I'm thinking about closing up stuff from previous seasons. Well, yeah, the yeah. well, the trends of law and all that. But yeah, those, those well, okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 I guess. But I, that, that still is like the last minute of a, a season, I guess, but not. I, I suppose one of the good things about this is that I think it it. it is weaning us off the idea as fans that we're ever going to figure out really season five. <laughs> I mean, season five is just a wasteland now. So. I, I agree with you, Darth. Yeah. Who blew up the TARDIS? It's all done. Who's, it's all yeah, who's, done. Who said uh, silence will fall inside of the TARDIS, all that. I don't think we'll get answers. Or, or even at this point, I think even the silence itself, you know, all that is gobbledygook. And I, I really think he, that Moffat believes he has fundamentally answered the question of that Dorian placed at the very end of season six. I think we have seen the fall of the 11th at the fields of Trenzalore. I think, I think that this is it. And I, that part of it, you know, uh, it makes Name of the Doctor not so great. I mean, I still love it. I still think it's a great episode. It still ticks lots of fan boxes. It still is, you know, if, if Doctor Who were being made for me, purely me, and I didn't have to worry about ratings, I didn't have to worry about anything, I'd say, oh, that's great. And, you know, even the questions that are in Name of the Doctor are actually answered by the way, we haven't talked about this, but it is part of season seven. Are you know, a lot of people were like, Oh, name of the doctor, I don't understand. How does that Clarence DeMarco guy know stuff about the uh coordinates and therefore has something to bargain with Madame Vastra for? Well, Moffat has even explained this and that's on your season seven DVDs, which now have been shipped legally <laughs> and properly. Um, but there is a nice little um, uh, prequel, I guess you'd call it, to the actual proper prequel, not he said, she said, or she said, he said, or whatever the hell that stupid piece of marketing was. But the actual prequel to uh, Name of the Doctor is actually on the DVD, and it's really good. And it does, I mean, it does what you thought it would do. It, it's not terribly innovative, but one would have imagined that if they had just put that prequel at the end of Nightmare in Silver, Nightmare in Silver would have been amazingly better. Uh, but no, they didn't. Uh, so there's also another prequel that's on there that uh, makes worth getting just the 
you know, people are holding out for the uh, the full Series 7 things, and I understand that, but at the same time, these are not exactly, precisely, vanilla releases. They actually do have about 10 minutes of reasonably good new material on them. Just to throw that out there for you. Okay. <clears throat> we, well, thanks, we everybody. Have, oh, go. Cool. We yeah. do have one more writing in, in text chat, and this is from Time Lord 2525 He gives a 3.5 out of 5, and he says he will raise it to a 4.5 if the special is good in November. Okay. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, well, thank you again. Thank you to the great contributions by everyone. Um, you've heard Jeff... Uh, uh, wax lyrical about Ken. Uh, let me also wax lyrical about Darth, but not to, to uh, minimise the contribution by everybody else. Uh, I, there was one thing I was just going to add in, and that was that um, just briefly uh, through part of that, uh, I got I was being interrupted. Well, interrupted, being uh, polled by Ian. Uh, some questions. He was just having a, a drink of Bushmills whiskey uh, with uh, Colin Small, and. Um, I actually broke away for two minutes just to Skype, and I had a little chat with Colin Spall. He wanted to know about the golf scores in the UK, and just had a little chat. So uh, thank you very much, Colin Spall, for taking that time out. Ian has now left. He, um, I don't know what he's met. I don't, well, he hasn't met Mike. Uh, I don't know what the plans are, but I think uh, they, they're probably having to miss each other because... Um, Ian is off, and there will be more stuff. I've posted quite a few pictures uh, on the Cultman Facebook page, and as you heard Ian say when he briefly called in, that um, we will giving some sort of uh, studio report and update. Now, one last thing: there isn't a topic up for next week, uh, but please check the Cultman page. That's uh, Cultman uh, on Torchu five four eight two one. Uh, we will have things. We will be moving away from Dot Two for a while, but rest assured, when Dot Two is back on our screens, we will do something about that. Uh, I'm ready to bounce off. Yep. Yeah. Um, are Are we going to continue on with the Doctors Revisited? Well, certainly, Ian and myself are going to carry on with the um, um, what's it's the um, commentaries. Uh, whether whether they will take up all of the Sunday shows, I don't know. T- to be honest, uh, so much has been happening in this last weekend. Ian has been flat out working, and uh, and I've been drinking a uh, wine tasting. So you can see uh, other things have taken precedent. But uh, yeah, I will mention that to Ian, and we'll see how we can squeeze it in. I don't think we will just do that. Maybe what we'll do is sort of do it every other week and try and do two in one week, something like that, so we can interpace it with non-who topics. Uh, I don't know if that sounds a good idea, but I'll bounce that idea off Ian when I do speak to him. But thank you for the reminder. I'll make a note of that. Uh, So what I'm going to do is going to thank uh, everybody here in the room. I'm going to thank uh, uh, Jeff Darth, Ken Kobo, Willis Girl, uh, Rick Wall, and um, Mr. Presenter. I think those are all the people that actually were on audio. Thank all those people that have stayed with us, are being with us for part of the show in the room. That's Cybob, Guest 14, Jiffy G7, Time Lord uh, 2525, uh, uh, other guests which I think may well have been Ken dropping in and out, and uh, <laughs> Logan so on 
if I've missed anybody, I heard some voice come in there. Have I missed something? No, I think you got it, Dave. Okay, well, thank you very much indeed, Jeff, for helping me. And I'm just going to play our outro music. I'm not quite sure the excitement. We've got a cliffhanger, folks. Is this the longest cultdom episode ever? Well, you won't know until I click the end button, and then you'll have to go and rush off to our cultdom page on Torchu and see if this indeed is the longest episode we've done. Willis Girl will probably be the first to go and check it out. She's such a fan. So thank you, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, everybody, for talking, and uh, let me play that outro. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.